right, here we go from Paris, France. It is BK here, of course, Saturday, December 4th, 2021. Hope you guys are having a great week. Uh, please follow me on social media. You can check out my Twitter for breaking news, at Bravo Kilo Actual, and look at my Instagram, at BK Actual, as I come to you here, and it is just about 1.55 p.m. here in Paris. Uh, very rainy and cold as shit, Paris, I should say. And, uh, yeah, you know, I do get a little homesick for beautiful San Diego. You know, this kind of job is really cool and traveling and seeing everything, but you do miss your homestead and your loved ones back home, and it's sometimes hard, and you get a little down, and I'm no different than anybody else. I do miss everybody back home, so I just want to give them a shout-out and tell them that I am thinking about them. Uh, So why don't we go ahead and get started, and quickly, you guys, before we do, I know a lot of you have been checking out the Spotify Wrapped, everybody, you know, it's funny because we all are so alarmed with social media tracking us, but when the Spotify Wrapped comes out, everyone, myself included, is like, oh, look what I did. Look how they're tracking me. <laughs> so it is pretty funny. And I want to thank the many of you who messaged me saying I was one of your top five podcasts. I really appreciate it. And just for uh, your edification, if you didn't see, uh, the podcast was played in 57 different countries this year. How about that stat? Uh, followers on Spotify alone uh, almost quadrupled, up 170%. And again, this is pretty much all word of mouth. So really want to thank you guys. And uh, I hope it means a lot to you. It means a lot to me. The podcast does, bringing you the news that is criminally underreported. Two and a half hours straight, you guys. The steel trap mind it cannot be beaten. And if you do enjoy the podcast, I would encourage you to go to patreon.com. Search for BK Actual and help keep it going by making a small pledge. Okay, let's go ahead and get into the news. Let us start with Russia. I kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but what is going on with the with uh, the Russia on the Ukraine border? Well, the Biden administration is having a growing alarm about a potential Russian invasion of Ukraine. And this is based in part on U.S. intelligence that Moscow has drawn up plans for a military offensive involving an estimated 175,000 troops as soon as early next year. Now, an unclassified U.S. intelligence document details some of the intelligence findings. And these findings include the positioning of what officials say could eventually be 100 battalion tactical groups as well as heavy armor, artillery, and other equipment. So... U.S. officials stress that the intentions of President Vladimir Putin of Russia remain unclear. And they wanted to also mention this intelligence does not show that he has decided to carry out this war plan. However, this does depict a Russian military machine kind of putting itself into position for an attack against which military experts say Ukraine's military would stand little chance. About half of the Russian forces that would be used in an invasion are already near Ukraine's border, and Moscow is moving rapidly to build up a large force of contract military reservists. Of course, a Russian invasion of Ukraine would set off a major national security crisis for Europe, and the Biden administration, by the way, which has declared an, quote, ironclad commitment, end quote, to Ukraine's borders and independence. Some of the things in this document do feature satellite photos 
Uh, those photos indicate a buildup of Russian troops and equipment near Ukraine's eastern border. And uh, this document also claims that Russian plans involve moving forces to and from Ukraine's border to, quote, obfuscate intentions and create uncertainty, end quote. Now, about Putin's intentions here. Well, they're concerned because U.S. officials are looking at an increase in Russian media disinformation describing NATO and Ukraine as threats to Russia, which is potentially to create a pretext for a Russian escalation. The administration officials said that Russian officials had also proposed information operations within Ukraine, portraying that country's leaders as Western puppets acting against their country's interest. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said this week that President Biden was likely to speak directly to Putin soon, and the Kremlin said on Friday, yesterday, that the leaders would conduct a video call next week. A National Security Council spokesperson said on Friday night that the U.S. did not see conflict with Russia and believed diplomacy was the best way to avert a crisis. Um, remember that basically, if you didn't know, Ukraine is a former Soviet republic, part of the United uh, USSR, and Putin considers them a rightful part of Russia. I'll have more on Blinken uh, in a moment here. But this is a big deal. I mean, this would be a huge challenge to NATO's authority and the future. Uh, Blinken himself, Secretary of State, he spoke to reporters in Stockholm on Thursday, and that was right after he met with Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov. And that was kind of at this annual meeting of the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. But Blinken did warn that the United States would work with allies, quote, to impose severe costs and consequences on Russia if it takes further aggressive action against Ukraine, end quote. Those could include uh, economic sanctions. He really didn't provide a lot of details. But Lavrov also came bearing his own threats. He said that, quote, drawing Ukraine into the geopolitical games of the United States against the background of the deployment of NATO forces in the immediate vicinity of our borders will have the most serious consequences, end quote. He, Lavrov, repeated Putin's demand for long-term security guarantees on Western Russia's, Russia's Western borders. Um... Because basically Russia keeps talking about threats from NATO to themselves. And Blinken has spoken and warned that Russia might fabricate a provocation to justify military action against Ukraine. There's not a lot of detail in either the report or any kind of Biden-Putin conversation. Remember, Biden has met with Putin. The two presidents met in person for the first time in June amid a similar state of alarm about a potential Russian invasion of eastern Ukraine. Russian forces have been there for a long time, backing a pro-Moscow separatist insurgency. And as you guys know, Russia annexed Ukraine's Crimean Peninsula in 2014. The United States still does not recognize that move. They do not recognize that the Crimean Peninsula is a part of Russia. 
Russian forces did partially withdraw shortly before Biden and Putin met in Geneva. And that led some analysts to suggest that Putin had manufactured the crisis in part to secure a meeting with Biden. Uh, this also kind of comes hand in hand with this ongoing uh, kind of back and forth with the diplomatic staff. I've covered it briefly throughout you know, the last year or so. This is like kind of withdrawing ambassadors and, and diplomatic staff and then putting them back, et cetera, et cetera. But this week, Russia ordered American diplomats who had been in Moscow for more than three years to fly out of the country by January 31st. That move came days after Russia's ambassador to Washington said that 27 Russian diplomats and their families were being forced to leave the United States by the end of January. And the State Department explained that move by saying that the Russian diplomats must leave the country under a policy that limits them to three-year stays. She said this is not an expulsion because new diplomats are welcome to take their place. Uh, the U.S. diplomatic presence in Russia has been dramatically reduced over the past few years among those rising tensions the State Department did close its last two consulates in Russia a year ago. And they say they did that because there was a cap on diplomatic employees imposed by Moscow, Moscow after a round of U.S. sanctions in 2018. So lots of things going on at the border. Let's come here to uh, France. And let's talk about this new presidential race and the polarizing far right candidate who is at, who is now officially said he's entering the race and this is Eric Zemmour and he's like a kind of a journalist and television star and he did make it official this week that he was running for French president in elections this year that ends months of speculation over this kind of entrant that upended the race before he'd even made it official. And I did talk to a few of my French fixers uh, about this over here, about this guy, you know, not telling them, of course, about the podcast or anything. I don't want that shit on me. Uh, but uh, Zamor, by the way, he's 63 years old. He's a longtime conservative journalist, and he kind of rose to prominence over the past decade using primetime television and best-selling books. In his view is that France is in decline, mainly because of Islam, immigration, and leftist identity politics. And he did kind of uh, return to this theme when he announced his run for president. He said in a video with dramatic overtones in his announcement, quote, it is no longer time to reform France, but to save it, end quote. He's kind of like a Trump guy. You know, he, he kind of like throws these politically incorrect bombs out at the French uh, elite establishment. Uh, one, thing, one thing he says, this is funny. He says that the law should require parents to give their children traditional French names. You know, I'm trying to think of some off the top of my head. Pierre, Francois, uh, Stéphane, shit like that. And he is also kind of uh, taking a look at some of the episodes from French France's past. He has been charged with inciting racial, racial or religious hatred several times over his comments, 
and he has twice been convicted and fined. Uh, he spoke this video making his announcement. It was like 1950s footage full of men in hats and you know vintage French cars. And that contra- he contrasted that with recent clips of crowded subways, crumbling churches, burning cars, and violent clashes with the police. He says in the announcement that you feel like a foreigner in your own country. Uh, he also said he was running to prevent our children and our grandchildren from experiencing barbarity, to prevent our daughters from being veiled, mm, and our sons from being subdued. Uh, he did accuse elites, including journalists, politicians, judges of failing France, which he said was represented by a long list of illustrious men and women, including Joan of Arc, Louis Fourteenth, and Napoleon. Uh-oh, no, he didn't. He also said, quote, we will not be replaced, end quote. Of course, that is the kind of uh, the theory of the replacement of white people in France by Muslim immigrants. So this didn't uh, really surprise anybody because he's kind of been hinting at this for a while. And he also made this announcement after he kind of went had a dip in his polls and a series of setbacks in recent days. Oh, I didn't hear about this one, including a disastrous visit to Marseille in southern France that ended with him making a crude gesture at a protester. <laughs> Do they have the middle finger over here? I should know that by now, but I'm not sure. I, I think I would have seen it with the uh, basically every man for himself free fall that happens in these French traffic circles over here. Um, let's see what else. If you here's how French presidential elections work. By the way, they'll be held in April of 2022. They use a two-round system with the top two candidates in the first round advancing to a runoff. So recent polling has put him in third place with roughly 14 to 15%. That is behind President Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen, who, of course, is the leader of the far-right National Rally Party. He has, has Zamor, drawn in some of Le Pen's supporters with his hardline stance on immigration and identity. His latest book is called France Has Not Said Its Last Word Yet. He released that in September. It has sold more than 250,000 copies. Uh, some of his books have contained incendiary statements about women and minorities. Um, also, uh, people point out the irony. He is the son of parents from Algeria, yet, you know, he's this, like, kind of anti-immigrant firebrand. But he is styling himself as a defender of France's Christian civilization against the influence of Muslim immigrants. However, he himself is Jewish. Hmm. Uh, okay. Now, they do have uh, some French Jews who have identified with his anti-Islam message, so we'll see how they vote. Uh, he's also been a right-wing television pundit. Think uh, Tucker Carlson style, right? In 2019, he joined C News, which is a uh, kind of Fox-style news network. And then he experienced a rapid rise in the polls. Um, he is not backed by any powerful established political forces, as even Trump was with the Republican Party. So 
We'll have to see. It does. Re- also, there's a requirement to run for president in F- France that you have to gain the official support of 500 elected representatives, and they don't know if he can do that or not. Um. Yeah. So he again. He's like, imagine like a, you know a, a cable news pundit running for president, and that's what we have now. On top of all that, and this was hilarious. He recently knocked up his chief aide. (laughs) This is such a French story. A celebrity magazine put 63-year-old Eric Zemmour and 28-year-old Sarah Knafo, she is 35 years his junior, on its cover. Yes, that's right. He is going to have a child with his young aide, I guess the uh, I guess the old boys are still swimming down there. So good for him. Um, you know, in the U.S., that would be seen as a scandal, but this is French after France after all. So probably not a big deal. But we'll see. Uh, let's see another election news around the world. Honduras had an election, and uh, yes, they have, as is typical down there. Elected a leftist presidential candidate. Well, I'm going to butcher this name. X-I-O-M-A-R-A. Shamara Castro. I'll call her that. Shamara Castro was headed for election victory this week, making history as the first woman to ever govern the Central American nation. Her rival from the ruling right-wing national party did concede defeat. Uh, With just over 52% of the votes counted, she is the former first lady, by the way. Former first lady Castro led with 53.5% compared with 34% for her nearest challenger, the conservative Nasri Asfura. That's a blowout. So this uh, kind of uh, cemented the left-wing victory down there. And this comes four years after presidential elections that were marred by fraud claims and violence. So, if you didn't know, her husband is a guy named Manuel Zelaya. He was the former president, and he was deposed in a 2009 coup supported by the military business elites and the political right. Her victory will break 12 years of that party, the PN, rule and four decades of basically uh, power sharing with the Liberal Party. Thankfully, there were no reports of violence related to this vote. That is a far cry from the deadly protests that broke out when Juan Orlando Hernandez won a second successive term in a 2017 election that the opposition said was stolen. (laughs) How many times did I tell you? You guys think like everybody poos their pants over people at the stolen election in America. This goes on literally in every election in every country around the world. It's always stolen. In those protests that broke out, more than 30 people died as authorities cracked down, and that protest went on for a month. So they uh, think this is a, a step up. Vote counting has been slow, with the first half of ballots arriving at the National Electoral Council in digital format while the rest must be physically delivered. Why can't they get this right? How many times have I bitched about How can you not be able to count votes in a timely manner? You should know the night of the election. That's why 
all this mail-in and uh, early voting, it's all garbage. And it just opens the door to fraud. I'm not going to go into the whole thing. Obviously, yes, I support mail ballots for military overseas, older people, et cetera, et cetera. But it should be very much limited. And remember, the fraud's not really in, like, people making a fake ballot. The fraud is in the ballot harvesting, where people who would never get off their lazy asses to go vote have activists go door-to-door and helpfully collect their ballot for them and helpfully even fill that out for them. Because the law, at least in California, now states that you don't have to be a family member to turn in a ballot. So that's where it is right there. Uh, The National Party tried to attach a communist label to Castro. She does support legalizing abortion and same-sex marriage. Those are touchy subjects in deeply conservative Honduras. Well, she won in a blowout, so I'm not sure how deeply conservative is anymore. In turn, she branded her rivals narco dictators. (laughs) That's great. Oh, man. All right. By the way, some of 59% of Honduras's 10 million people live in poverty. And uh, this is important in the United States because, of course, Honduras is the starting point for many of those migrant caravans trying to reach the United States. Now, in still further election news, God, this is such a pain. I don't know. There's some kind of law in the European Union, you guys. Like, every new website I visit... There's a big thing that pops up and says, like, you have to consent to your cookies being collected, blah, blah, blah. Now, I get what they're trying to do, but it is annoying, especially when I'm visiting. Every single time I visit a website, that window pops up and I have to close it. And I say, yes, I accept you're tracking me. Anyway, in this more election news, let's go to Chile. And, yes, another leftist Chile presidential candidate is leading the polls. And this is uh, Gabriel Boric. He is the Chilean leftist candidate. He is leading conservative Jose Antonio Cast in the latest polls. This is ahead of the second round of the presidential elections on December 19th. They have a similar system to the one I just talked about. And this runoff vote will set the political tone in Chile for the years ahead. These two candidates are miles apart. And the... Likely voters, according to recent polls, heavily favor Boric. Um, That is, he's basically up in the polls like 54% to 31%. Um, Yeah, this poll, some three weeks out from the election, indicate that moderate voters may be more willing to shift their support to Boric than to Cast. Again, Cast is seen as the far-right candidate, often linked to Brazil's President Jair Bolsonaro. Now, Cass did have an audience for his law and order message. That helped him win the first round of voting on November 21st. Now, Boric is a former student protest leader. Oh, terrific. So, we'll see. He's got a, it's the same, the guys, this is all the same as in the United States. The leftist student leader has uh, the core of, uh, you know, young, single, urban voters. And then, like, the conservative guy has the more rural, you know, family, stuff like that voters. Same shit as it is here. Let's go to Iraq. And the head of United Nations team investigating ISIS atrocities in Iraq has said that the armed group fighters committed crimes against humanity and war crimes. Shocking at a prison in the northern city of Mosul. 
where at least 1,000 mostly Shia Muslim prisoners were systematically killed seven years ago. This was a report given to the UN Security Council that evidence collected from mass graves contained the remains of victims of executions carried out at Badush Central Prison. And also they got uh, testimony from survivors that showed detailed preparations by senior ISIS members followed by an assault on the morning of June 10th, 2014. Prisoners captured were led to sites close to the prison, separated based on their religion, and uh, hu- very, you know, humiliated in various ways. At least 1,000 predominantly Shia prisoners were then systematically killed. Like, this was all in like a matter of a day or two. So they did an analysis of digital documentary uh, survivors and forensic evidence, including ISIS documents. And they have identified a number of members from the group who were responsible from the, for the crimes. Uh, just to give you a brush up, ISIS fighters seized Iraqi cities and declared that self-styled caliphate in a large swath of territory in Syria and Iraq in 2014. They were formally declared defeated in Iraq in 2017 following a three-year bloody battle that left tens of thousands of people dead and cities in ruins, but their sleeper cells continue to launch attacks in different parts of Iraq. As a matter of fact, on Friday this, this week, at least three civilians and seven Iraqi Kurdish Peshmerga fighters were killed in an attack blamed on ISIS. Also, they are being uh, accused of committing genocide against that Yazidi minority in 2014. And the UN also says that investigators found evidence that the armed group had successfully developed chemical weapons and had used mustard gas. Really? Hmm. Remember earlier this week, we saw the first ever conviction of an ISIS member for the crime of genocide at the regional court in Frankfurt, Germany. That was a 29-year-old Iraqi named Taha al-Jumali. He was convicted of crimes against humanity, war crimes, and bodily harm resulting in death over the, uh, over the death of a 5-year-old Yazidi girl he had bought as a slave with her mother, and then he chained her up in the hot sun until she died of thirst. Ugh. Man. Yep, the documents also show that ISIS identified and then seized chemical production factories and other sources of precursor material while also overtaking the University of Mosul campus as a hub for research and development. Yeah, these guys weren't messing around. They became more sophisticated, and investigators have identified more than 3,000 victims of ISIS chemical weapons attacks as well as its use of rocket artillery projectiles containing a mustard sulfur agent. Man, this is the first time I've heard about any of this, and I'm usually pretty spun up on this stuff. Yeah, they'll still pop up. It's not over over there. It never really is, is it? Let's go to Mexico and the border. And this is big news. Uh, Mexico has agreed to allow the United States to restart the Trump-era asylum program that requires certain migrants to wait in Mexico while their cases are pending. Yes, that's the Remain in Mexico uh, program, or the Migrant Protection Protocols, if you will. 
You guys remember, if you've been listening, a judge had ordered the Biden administration to restart that program because they he, Biden did the same shit that Trump used to do. He just did it without, uh, I don't know, uh, basically putting it out for public debate, uh, examining the consequences, shit like that. Again, you know, honestly, if you're president, I don't know why you can't just undo something a predecessor did. I said the same thing about Trump and Obama, but this is what we have now. Yeah, Biden had tried to end the program. And then they got that court order. Of course, doing so, restarting this program, requires the cooperation of the Mexican government, which had been reluctant to do so without commitments to address humanitarian concerns. But they did agree to the restart of the program, known again formally as Migrant Protection Protocols, after the Biden administration agreed to a number of steps to improve humanitarian conditions at the border, such as providing vaccines for migrants. Uh, by the way, unaccompanied minors and other vulnerable asylum seekers will not be included in the program. So they're free just to keep walking across the border, apparently, and claiming asylum. The Remain in Mexico program will apply to migrants whom the United States is unable to expel under that public health rule it put in place at the beginning of the pandemic. And I'll have more on that. That's the Title 42. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Ending the program was an early goal for Biden. Of course, he got in office, and he basically the first goal was to basically undo everything Trump did, even the stuff that worked well. And the Remain in Mexico program had worked well. It had greatly cut down on illegal immigration. I know you hate Trump. Well, you, this one worked well, unless you think, of course, that we have no business having a border, and then we should just let everybody who wants walk right across it. Uh, let me see here. Yes, uh, the critics say it forced migrants to stay in unsanitary tent encampments. Well, it didn't force you to do anything. You, you chose to come to the border and try to storm into a foreign country without permission after we explicitly told you not to. So, yeah, we, we didn't force you. You're not forced to do anything. Any American would never, ever do that in a million years. I've said it a hundred times. All these good libs who just think this is like uh, Hitler... They would never take their kids and barge their way into another company in a country and demand a special treatment. They would never do it. Uh, let me see. Other changes to the program include limiting immigration proceedings to six months per asylum applicant. During the Trump administration, remain in Mexico cases sometimes dragged on for years. Well, how are they going to how are they going to just suddenly speed it up all of a sudden? Because they have more than twenty five thousand asylum claims pending already from people affected by the program. Honestly, if I'm looking at it from a illegal immigrant point of view, you're just better off just sneaking in. You really are. Because once you sneak in, you're here. And then it's a fucking huge headache for the United States to deport you, even if they end up doing it. And Sleepy Joe already said that they're not going to deport anyone, basically, unless you like literally commit murder. They said that. They've been very plain about that. So uh, if you're, I don't want them to, obviously, but I'm looking at it from their point of view, you're better off just walking over the border and surrendering and say, making up a fake asylum claim, and they give you a piece of paper saying, show up to court, and then you disappear. And they'll never come get you. American officials also promised Mexico that they would improve access to counsel. Oh, great. So we're going to pay for their lawyers as well. Uh, by the way, of the cases, the asylum claims, big air quotes here, of the cases completed to date, only 1.6% of the applicants were granted asylum. Okay, well then, were the other, were the other 
then put on a plane and swiftly deported or no? Are they all still here? New York Times article does not mention that. Um, yes, of course, the uh, American Immigration Council, those are all the open borders lawyers, are very unhappy about this. Uh, they, they they say the same thing. Well, families are forced to do this and run a gauntlet of kidnappers. Again, you're not forced to do anything. You could stay home and unfuck your country. Well, even the bumbling, hapless Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, basically said uh, he wanted to try to end the program. And he said basically, quote, I have concluded there are inherent problems with the program that no amount of resources can sufficiently fix, unquote. So he doesn't think it's even possible to fix this. Hmm. Uh, anything else on this? Yeah, oh, here's the, the, the issue citing it. Uh, basically, states sued. When Biden ended the program, states sued to have it reinstated. And then a district U.S. district court ruled in August that the administration's seven-page justification for ending the program was, quote, arbitrary and capricious, end quote, that old phrase. So they appealed. Supreme Court took it up. Well, they did not take it up. The Supreme Court refused to block it. So then the administration decided, well, we were supposed to do this. Now, they're not giving up on it. They have submitted a new, more detailed justification for ending the program. That has a motion pending in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit in New Orleans. The Department of Homeland Security said this week that if the appeals court sides with the administration on that one, it will then end the program again immediately. Which, what do you think is going to happen, you guys, if they end the program immediately? you think we're going to get more illegal immigrants or less illegal immigrants? Of course, since Biden has been in office, we've seen a spike in the number of migrants, almost basically setting records that we haven't seen in decades. Uh, they have been known, they have been using the Title 42, that public health rule, to quickly turn back many crosses during the pandemic. But it has not been equally applied across the board. For example, in October... U.S. officials used Title 42 just 57% of the time to turn away migrants who crossed the border illegally. So of the migrants who were not expelled under Title 42 that month, half were from Brazil, Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, countries that typically will not repeat, repatriate their citizens. Okay, well, then you got to use the big stick. I'm so tired of hearing that. This is what Trump. This is what Trump did. It was effective. Remember when Mexico didn't want to cooperate, and Trump's like, "Fine, we're going to slap a bunch of tariffs on you," and then they quickly cooperated. We're talking about Cuba and Nicaragua for Christ's sakes. No, oh, really? You're not going to take back your illegal immigrants? Okay, then we're going to use our big stick and we're going to cut off all the foreign aid to you. How about that? How quickly do you think they would start taking back those immigrants? This is not a. <laughs> This whole thing, these are not equal partnerships. We're the big dog, okay? But we have this uh, reluctance to use it because that would be non-woke. Uh, we have an administration that wants to be a citizen of the world where we're all equal. We're not all equal. We are the big dog, especially in the Western Hemisphere. What we say goes, especially when it's your citizens breaking into our house, not the other way around. Meanwhile, God forbid you fuck up in... Uh, Mexico or Cuba or Nicaragua, you get thrown into a dungeon for six months while the U.S. government like says, ask pretty please if we can have you back. Ridiculous. All right. Anything else about this? Oh, and also, get, 
We also donated 2.1 million doses of coronavirus vaccines to Mexico. There's another part of the big stick we could have waved around. Oh, really? You're not going to cooperate? Well, how about we just uh, don't give you these millions of vaccine doses? Of course, that would be very mean. I have this other tab from the about the Title 42. Remember, the, the, uh, Ill, the open borders activists in the United States want that rule gone. They're very upset with uh, Biden even continuing to use that. Yeah, here it is right here. Immigration and human rights advocates say Title 42 is being used improperly as an enforcement tool. They have pressed Biden to lift the rule. These are the same people who fucking lose their shit if you're not wearing a mask outside. But no, but the hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens coming in all carrying COVID, that's fine. Now, from March 2020, when Title 42 was put into place through the end of this October, that measure has been used to turn back migrants 1.3 million times. Man. And that number represents only 64% of the Border Patrol's total encounters with people crossing illegally over the same time frame. So this is, we'd have like millions more illegal immigrants if it wasn't for Title 42. Yeah, and, uh, and they say this is confusing because, especially for the Border Patrol guys, because they admit that whether a person is permitted to stay in the United States or turn back immediately can vary by hour or by the day or from one border crossing to the next. It's not applied equally and nobody knows what the hell is going on. Now, one thing that is true, basically all unaccompanied migrant children are being allowed into the U.S. In February, as a matter of fact, the CDC exempted migrant children who arrived at the border from being expelled under Title 42. So guess what happened next? That's right, tens of thousands of children (laughs) immediately crossed the border. Yeah, I know. Listen to this rule. Under Donald Trump... Nearly 16,000 children who arrived alone were expelled under Title 42, but nearly 137,500 were allowed into the United States between February and September of this year. And the number of children, guess what? Rose sharply when Biden took office and they were exempted from the rule. Nuh-uh. <laughs> who could have predicted that? Of course, you guys remember, this is all part of the plan They want lots of poor immigrants who will have children and vote for Democrats who give them stuff. They have no intention of stopping it, but they can't come right out and say that. I wish they would just be honest about it. Just be it. Just 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 run for office and say, yeah, you know, what? we we believe in uh, unlimited immigration and really we don't really have to have permission and just come on in. And but they won't do that because they know they would never win. Uh, By the way, in January, Mexico started enforcing a new law under which it cannot hold children under 12 in government custody. So then the United States had to take the bag on that one. Again, if we would have uh, swung the big stick on them, they never would have done it. Uh, Here's a couple of amusing clips for you. Remember, Biden, when he was running, he described the migrant protection protocols as uh, inhumane. Uh, So Pete Ducci, 
Ducey from Fox News asked a bumbling press secretary, Jen Psaki, about that. Let's uh, hear this. Immigration, Joe Biden once described the remain in Mexico policy as dangerous, inhumane, and goes against everything we stand for as a nation of immigrants. So why is he keeping it? He continues to stand by exactly those comments and statements. And uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security put out a memorandum conveying we want to end this program. Uh, But we also believe in following the law, and that's exactly what we're doing, as there was uh, a, there was a ruling uh, that required us moving forward with implementation. Okay, they're following the law. We have no choice. But yes, he still does believe that. Uh, and also, uh, this was funny too. So uh, Dr. Fauci was up at the briefing table for some some stupid. And Pete Ducey, uh, Ducey I'm, I don't know if it's Ducey or Ducey. I'm sorry. I'll just say Ducey. And he was asking him about, because he wants to basically, Fauci does, want to uh, have everybody required to be tested and you can't leave your house unless you're like triple vaxxed or some shit. So Ducey decided to ask him about the illegal immigrants coming over. Dr. Fauci, as you advise the president about the possibility of new testing requirements for people coming into this country, does that include everybody? The answer is yes, because you know that the new uh, uh, the new uh, uh, regulation, if you want to call it that, is that anybody and everybody who's coming into the country needs to get a test within 24 hours of getting on the plane to come here. But well, what about people who don't take a plane and just these border crossers coming in in huge numbers? You know, that's, that's a different issue. For example, uh-huh. we, talk, we still have Title 42 with regard to protection at the border, so there are protections at the border that you don't have the capability, as you know, of somebody getting on a plane, getting checked, looking at a passport. Okay, well, let me stop him there because uh, I just read you the statistics and a, a, a huge chunk of people are not immediately expelled under Title 42. Oh, fucking Fauci. All right, guys, let's lighten it up a little bit. Let's go to the UK. And a British man has been sentenced to three years in prison for stabbing a sexual partner 12 times in a homophobic rage after the man refused to perform a sex act on him. Hmm, let's unpack this. 24-year-old Stephen Taylor first met the victim at a house party on June 4th in 2020. Taylor introduced himself as Tyson to the victim. The victim was told by a friend that Taylor was straight and during a conversation with Taylor, told him he was gay. Well, the victim then took a taxi home, but Taylor messaged him on Snapchat to tell him he had left his phone charger behind. So the victim then paid for Taylor to get a taxi to his Liverpool apartment around 3 a.m. and invited Taylor in for a drink. When the two men were drinking, Taylor leaned over and grabbed the victim's penis. The victim asked him what he was doing, to which Taylor allegedly replied, quote, don't you want to have a bit of fun, end quote. The victim told him, quote, but you're straight, I'm gay, end quote and tried to laugh it off, but Taylor did it again. Prosecutors then claimed Taylor kissed the victim, who did reciprocate, and let Taylor perform a sex act on him before the two went into the bedroom to have sex. Taylor reported, reportedly wanted to have sex a different way, which the victim told him, quote, was not his thing, end quote. Hmm. So they returned back to the living room and kept drinking, at which point the victim declined to perform a sex act on Taylor. 
So Taylor then grabs the knife that had been in the victim's kitchen and stabbed him in the chest with it. The victim claimed Taylor then jumped on top of him, gave his penis a painful and hard squeeze, and stabbed him in the neck. The victim allegedly then pleaded with Taylor to let him call the ambulance to stop his violent rampage, but Taylor became enraged, shouting, quote, I'm not fucking gay, end quote. And then Taylor then spewed several homophobic epithets, including, yeah, you probably know where this is going, calling the victim, quote, a fucking faggot, end quote. Uh, so, yes, they did treat the victim at the hospital. He had several cuts on him, and he's undergoing counseling now. And, <laughs> yes, this is uh, this Taylor guy, man. So, was he angry? He was angry about it. Oh, and then there was some court drama. So, the judge gave Taylor a sentence of three years for wounding the man during the attack. After the judge handed down the sentence... Taylor allegedly ripped off and threw off his electronic bracelet of some kind that they used to track these guys, shouting at the judge, quote, you can fucking have that, mate, end quote. Okay, so he's not gay. However, he did, uh, he did, did want a sex act, grabbed the dude's dick, and, he, and by the way, he blew the gay guy. Yeah, Taylor performed a sex act on him. I'm just guessing. You, I have to speculate because these media outlets, even the fucking, uh, even the tabloids, they're too delicate to spell out exactly what's going on. You know, they'll say they'll say things like Taylor performed a sex act on the victim. Well, I'm, I'm just guessing uh, that's a fucking uh, BJ, maybe an HJ, maybe even over the pants HJ. It's hard to tell. I'm just speculating here. That's good stuff. And by the way, Taylor, you are gay, contrary to what you screamed out in the street. Very good. All right. Let us go to Afghanistan, where dozens of former Afghan security forces are dead or missing under the Taliban, according to an investigation by Human Rights Watch. They say more than 100 former members of the Afghan security forces in four different provinces have been killed by the Taliban or disappeared at their hands in the first two and a half months of Taliban rule. And that these are a part of a string of assassinations and uh, summary executions, basically revenge killings. And this has been happening across Afghanistan since the fall of Ashraf Ghani's government back in August. Human Rights Watch detailed the killing or forced disappearance of 47 members of the former government's security forces who had either surrendered to the Taliban or were detained by them between August 15th and October 31st in four provinces. That would be Ghazni, Helmand, Kandahar, and Kunduz province. And they also indicate the Taliban are responsible for the deaths or disappearances of at least another 53 former security force members in the same provinces. And they basically look at this as an effort to crush dissidents. Of course, the Taliban have a long history of um, targeting security forces and officials of the former government, as well as activists, journalists, and elders. And in the 18 months leading up to the takeover, if you guys have been listening, you know a lot of this, the Taliban carried out an assassination campaign against journalists, government, and military workers, and civil society leaders, but they rarely took responsibility for those deaths. 
And these uh, new recent executions have raised new fears because they occurred even in the face of reassurances from senior Taliban leaders that the new government would not seek retribution against members of the former government and military. Well, yeah, right. We knew that was a lie. A Taliban spokesman told the New York Times that some fighters might have taken a law into their old hands to settle old scores, but that the killings and disappearances were not Taliban policy. As a matter of fact, the spokesman, somebody named Inamula Samangani, said the government was seriously investigating such incidents. He said in a phone interview, quote, We are fully committed to the amnesty that we have announced. We do not have a security system yet in place. And some people are taking advantage of this vacuum, misusing the name of Islamic Emirate and carrying out such killings. End quote. You guys can go listen to the audio of the phone call. He sounds exactly like that. And as you know, all impressions are spot on. Uh, one of the guys who died, by the way, they, they, they basically documented each killing. For example, there was a guy named Dadula. He had worked only for a few months as a, as a police officer in Kandahar, and then he quit his job and moved to the town of Spin Boldak near the Pakistan border. Well, last month he returned to Kandahar City. Two men believed to be Taliban members picked him up on October 23rd, and his body was sent home in an ambulance later that evening. Hmm. Yeah, go read the whole thing and check that out. Meanwhile, a couple other news about the Taliban. How about this headline? The Taliban have decreed an end to forced marriages in Afghanistan. Hmm. Yeah, they just this just came out on Friday yesterday. They said they were banning forced marriages of women in Afghanistan. And this is uh, clearly, they need to do this. This is meant to address criteria the international community considers a precondition to recognizing the new government. And they want to be recognized because they need that aid money back. And we've talked about that before. You guys remember all those funds that are tied up and have been frozen by the United States and uh, and the uh, World Trade Organization and others. So they want that money. So they got to play nice right now. The announcement was attributed to the Taliban's reclusive chief, that is Sheikh Haibatullah Akundazada. That is a cleric chosen as the group's supreme leader. They think he is in the southern city of Kandahar. The decree said, quote, both women and men should be equal and that no one can force women to marry by coercion or pressure, end quote. It is unclear how that will be enforced in practice. Mm, it is also, uh, the, the statement is notable, it did not mention two issues. One is women's access to education in the workplace that have been of central interest to the countries that provide aid to Afghanistan. Uh, let me see here. Of course, the Taliban and basically these patriarchal traditions uh, go way back. It even goes back before the Taliban. They have honor killings, selling girls to pay family debts. That still takes place in much of the country, despite being outlawed under Ashraf Ghani's government. Uh, the decree did not mention a minimum age for marriage, which previously was set at 16 years old. Um, with the decree, which was cast as a call to adhere to broader Islamic law about women's rights, the Taliban have now publicly stated that they are against those practices. They also said that a widow will now be allowed to remarry 17 weeks after her husband's death. 
and she may choose her new husband freely. Now, long-standing tribal traditions have held it customary for a widow to marry one of her husband's brothers or relatives if he dies. And they said they have also ordered Afghan courts to treat women fairly, especially widows seeking inheritance as next of kin. Yeah, well, just by coincidence, by the way, they're trying to also get seats in the U.N., so this probably has something to do with that as well. The new Taliban government, and by the way, also the ruling junta in Myanmar, are trying to gain international recognition at the U.N. Well, that kind of uh, took a uh, speed bump when the U.N. put off a decision on the representatives of both countries. So a powerful U.N. committee um, said that they will deny for now, and possibly through much of 22, attempts by the Afghanistan and Myanmar's government, which are widely considered pariahs, to occupy seats at the United Nations. This is the nine-nation credentials committee of the U.N. General Assembly. They are responsible for approving diplomatic representation of each U.N. member state. Uh, So they are deferring that for now. Basically, they punted on it. Um, Remember, the U.N. is made up of 193 nations, and much of the groups have denounced the actions of the Taliban and Myanmar military. By the way, the Myanmar military is known as the Tatmadaw. And they, the Myanmar military, if you guys have been listening, remember this as well. Remember, they they overthrew the civilian government in a coup last February, and they imprisoned the leaders, including Da Aung San Suu Kyi. She is that Nobel laureate. Um, Do they say what countries are on this committee? They do not. Hmm. They were behind closed doors. Maybe they keep it secret. I don't know. Let's go back to Mexico City. You guys know I like the archaeology. How about this? Archaeologists in Mexico have uncovered an altar dating back to the 16th century near Plaza Garibaldi. That is the square in Mexico City famed for its mariachi musicians. And the altar they found dates back to the time after the Spanish conquest of the Aztec capital. I always butcher this name. One of you guys can ask me. I've read it a billion times and I still don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Tenochtitlan? Yeah. Something like that. That's the Aztec capital. Experts say this altar was found in a courtyard inside the home of an Aztec family. And again, this is notable because this they found a pot that contained human ashes. The original discovery was actually made back in August, but it was only announced by Mexico's National Institute for Anthropology and History after archaeologists had spent three months studying the site. The altar is thought to date back to the period between 1521, that was when Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés defeated the Aztec ruler uh, Montezuma, and 1610. And the battle of that capital is seen as the beginning of the end of the Aztec Empire, which was a huge empire that stretched all over uh, that all of Latin America. As I think I've mentioned this book before, great book is called Aztec. It's historical fiction, meaning they have fake characters, but the history in it is real. And it's very, it goes all over the whole history of the Aztecs and how they conquered everybody. And then they themselves were conquered and, and all that. I highly recommend it. 
the archaeologists say that the inhabitants of the house would have held a ritual uh, at this altar. And the altar was found four meters below ground underneath several layers of uh, adobe mud. The altar contained a pot with human ashes and 13 intricately decorated incense burners. I'm looking at the incense burners right now. They look very solid and like in complete, like they look like they just were pulled out of a closet or something. They look remarkably intact. They believe that the inhabitants of the house wanted to hide this altar and the pot and the incense burners from the eyes of the Spanish conquistadors. All right, very cool. Uh, let's go here. Let's go to Nigeria. And dozens of people, including many children, have died in a boat disaster after an overloaded riverboat capsized in Kano State. If, if you're looking at a map of Nigeria, Kano State is like in the middle and then up north towards the border. They recovered 29 bodies and rescued seven passengers, and they're still looking for 13 more bodies. Uh, as is common in these things, the boat was meant to ferry only 12 adults, but the captain of the boat packed a ton of kids on board as well. The children were traveling to a different town for a religious ceremony. Boat accidents are tragically common on Nigerian waterways, mostly due to overcrowding, bad weather, and lack of maintenance. Last month, seven girls aged between 10 and 12 drowned in neighboring Jigawa State. And then in June, thir in June 13 people died in Sokoto State when a boat-faring wedding guest capsized. And I remember this one. One of the worst recorded incidents ever was just last May when more than 150 people went missing and presumed dead after their wooden boat broke apart and sank on the Niger River. So avoid the, uh, avoid the uh, ferries in Nigeria. I would do that if I were you. Okay, let's go to a few gun stories. Yes, they're never-ending. Let's start with this one. A South Carolina gun store owner fatally shot a worker in the face during a questionable prank that turned deadly. 59-year-old John Whitley told authorities he mistook a real Glock 17 handgun for a BB gun when he blasted employee Stefan Morgan inside Coastal Firearms in the Wando area of South Carolina. He had placed a BB gun along real weapons in the store, intending to play a joke on Morgan. I, I, I thought it was a misspelling. The New York Post has this spelled M-R-G-A-N. And I thought the first time it was just a misspelling, but they keep spelling it M-R-G-A-N. I don't know, Morgan? I'm just going to keep saying Morgan. Well, this dope claims he ended up picking up a real gun and he shot Morgan at close range. So he was arrested this week and slapped with involuntary manslaughter. Now, I do have an inside source on this. One of you guys messaged me on Instagram and told me there's no way this is an accident because Whitley, the shop owner, He's a former volunteer reserve deputy and a retired National Guard major, and uh, you, my source said that he was former uh, Army Green Beret Special Forces, as was the victim, who was 36 and had served in the military and was also in the Green Berets. He had three children, did the victim. 
So uh, the guy who wrote to me said, dude, there's no fucking way this was a accident. So we'll remain to be seen how that comes out. More gun stories. 13-year-old boy has been charged with murdering his sister. Kyra Scott, 14 years old, was killed after her 13-year-old brother allegedly shot her with one of those ghost guns. Yeah, he was allegedly he allegedly uh, was opening fire on men who were trying to steal one of his homemade ghost guns. What the hell is going on in this house? What were you doing at 13 years old? Were you guys manufacturing and selling ghost guns to gangsters? Jeez. Yeah, he was selling one of his weapons to two buyers. He had been buying parts online, constructing the weapons, including semi-automatic uh, semi uh, guns to sell them. And, yeah, two men arrived at the family home 20 miles west of Atlanta. They were going to buy one of these. However, the pair then stole the weapon and attempted to run away, at which point the 13-year-old shot at them, allegedly accidentally hitting his sister instead. Police do believe that Cairo was shot by one of the homemade guns. Ugh. Jesus, dude. A little young for that. Here's another one. It's bad this week. A Texas father accidentally... No, negligently, shot and killed his 11-year-old daughter while the two were on a Thanksgiving weekend hunting trip together. They identified the child as Daisy Grace Lynn George of Hallsville in eastern Texas. So this fatal incident took place at around 5 p.m. on Saturday in a wooded area. Authorities learned from 911 callers that a father identified as Travis George had accidentally shot his daughter with a high-powered rifle. They were hunting white-tailed deer. So yeah, he was probably using a 308, something like that. Oh, this fucking moron. At the end of the hunting trip, the father was standing next to his vehicle and unloading his rifle when it, not accidentally, negligently discharged, striking Daisy once, killing her probably fucking instantly. Oh, man. Well, apparently it wasn't instantly. They were dispatched to the scene. They located the 11-year-old girl. A medical helicopter was requested for medevac, but all helicopters have been grounded due to inclement weather, so she was taken by ambulance thirteen uh, to a medical center 13 miles away. She later died. You know, you guys know I'm the biggest Second Amendment guy there is, but, man, we have a huge problem in this country with people just fucking... Being very casual with their firearms. It's very upsetting to me because it makes all of us look bad. All of you guys who are responsible for your firearms. We have uh, half the country is trying to take them away from you constantly. And then these dopes go out and pretty much prove the libs point. And then I got one more. A five-year-old was fatally shot by accident. Again, that word on Thanksgiving Day by a Minnesota teenager recording a video to post on social media with a group of four or five kids during a family gathering. Oh, were you making a TikTok? God. Cops responded to a shooting on Florida Avenue where they found a child dead at the scene, according to the Brooklyn Park Police Department. 
The preliminary investigation discovered that a 13-year-old boy had shot the child as he and several other kids recorded a social media video. Yeah, that sounds like TikTok to me. Uh, yeah, he's he was arrested. The teens are not naming anybody because they're underage. He is being held at the Hennepin County Juvenile Detention Center. Uh, they said it was a rifle. At some point, they had located a rifle at the home they were in. By the way, the gun owner may also face criminal charges. And they are keeping uh, keeping this one close. Man, well, it's interesting. where They're going to start charging these people. We have more because that Michigan shooting. I'll, I'll get to that eventually later. The school shooting where the parents have been arrested now. We're going we're gonna to take a look at that one as well. Uh, let's go to this one. Florida church musical director killed his wife and two kids at the family's home. Jeez. He shot his wife. This is William Conway Broyles. He killed his wife of 30 years and two adult children at their home, shooting each victim multiple times so, quote, they didn't suffer, end quote. He serves as a musical director at a Jacksonville church, and he shot his 57-year-old wife, Candace, in the living room of their home. He then went to his 27-year-old daughter's room and shot her as she woke up before setting his sights on his 28-year-old son, who was also shot and killed. He then called 911 after allegedly executing his family. But he said, uh, you know, he took it, he took their final moments into consideration. Uh, the sh- the local sheriff said that Con, uh, what's his name? Fucking uh, Broyles said that he shot each victim multiple times just to make sure they didn't suffer. When he asked why he didn't just shoot himself, he said he was too scared to do that. Yeah. Fucking chicken shit. Suspect. All these people. Uh, okay, here's a... Here's, this is something more fun. You guys remember way back at the beginning of the pandemic when I was talking a lot about the the uh, unemployment benefits, the EDD in California, and I said the scale of the fraud when the final tally comes out is going to be staggering? Well, how about this? <laughs> Let's talk. This is just the federal benefits. But a new report has come out that says more than $87 billion in unemployment benefits funded by the federal government was likely siphoned from the system, much of it due to fraud. Congress authorized many new programs in the pandemic's early days to support millions of workers who lost their jobs. Uh, So they issued $872 billion in total benefits. As of September 30th. So for the whole thing, yes, this is a drop in the bucket. But still, you know, that's what, 10%? Yeah. And uh, that's a lot. The unprecedented level of funding, of course, led to a surge in theft and fraud. And this is all according to, by the way, the U.S. Department of Labor, who came out and said this. A watchdog audits labor department programs and operations. Much of the criminal activity was focused on one temporary program called the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance, which expanded aid to the self-employed, gig workers, and others who don't typically qualify for state unemployment insurance. Uh, Much of the unemployment fraud has been, of course, linked to organized crime rings, 
that bought identity information stolen in past data breaches. Criminals use this data to apply for benefits in other people's names. Yikes. Investigative work involving unemployment benefits increased by 1,000 times more than the usual amount during the pandemic. Such work now accounts for 92% of the watchdog's investigative case inventory, up from 12% prior to the pandemic. Yeah, you got your work cut out for you, man. All right, let's do this one. Let's go to the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency. And they are they they had a scandal hit them because CIA files say that some of their staffers committed sex crimes against children. The problem, many of them were not prosecuted at all. And this is over the last 14 years. Most of the cases were referred to US attorneys for prosecution. Sorry. However, only one of the individuals was ever charged with a crime. Prosecutors sent the rest of the cases back to the CIA to handle internally. You believe this? Meaning few faced any consequences beyond the possible loss of their jobs and security clearances. That, of course, is a striking deviation from how sex crimes involving children have been handled at other federal agencies, such as the Department of Homeland Security and the Drug Enforcement Administration. Now, CIA insiders say the agency resists prosecution of its staff for fear the cases will reveal state secrets. So get out of here. That's, that's, that is laughable. Most of these people don't know anything. They're just like cubicle pukes. Uh, here's a few examples. One employee had sexual contact with a two-year-old and a six-year-old. Ugh, he was fired. A second employee purchased three sexually explicit videos of young girls filmed by their mothers. He resigned. A third employee estimated that he had viewed up to 1,400 sexually abusive images of children while on agency assignments. The records do not say what action, if any, the CIA took against him. Oh, then they had a contractor who arranged for sex with an undercover FBI agent posing as a child. He had his contract revoked. That's funny. So the CIA is asking the undercover FBI guy. <laughs> for, uh, I wonder how often that happens. Well, you know, like, do you ever wonder, like, if it's like, because, you know, I do these stories every week where some dope is talking to an undercover cop. How many times do you think it's like cop on cop? They're, they're like, you know, they're talking to each other. And like, when do they realize it? I wonder. Uh, yeah, they got this from, um, a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit and, uh, BuzzFeed News got the papers from this. At a symposium in 2016, a top Pentagon security official said that when their work, the CIA workers' computers were examined, he said, quote, the amount of child porn I see is just unbelievable, end quote. Ah. Uh. Then, in a November 2009 report, the Department of Defense acknowledged that dozens of Pentagon staff members or contractor had images of child porn. In 2014, the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community found that two officials from the National Reconnaissance Office, they oversee America's uh, spy satellites, acknowledged viewing ch images of child sex abuse during polygraph examinations. What the fuck? Who are these people? They have 3,000 pages covering the years 2004 to 2019. 
Man. Yep. It's just, I encourage you to go. It's at BuzzFeed News, guys. Go Google this headline. Quote, CIA files say staffers committed sex crimes involving children. They weren't prosecuted, end quote. Gross. Uh, let's go to California Governor Bumbling, Hapless, Corrupt, Incompetent Gavin Newsom. And this is a great story at the California Globe. I put this out on Twitter. So supposedly, this, this California Globe is one of these independent um, news sites. And, and they're legit enough to go on some of the local talk show hosts, you know, so they're, but they're outside the mainstream media. But there's this chick, Katie Grimes, and she's like kind of one of these independent journalists. So take this with a grain of salt, but I figured it was too funny not to let go. And there is some evidence. Well, the California Globe put out a story claiming that Governor Gavin Newsom had taken his family to a resort in Cabo San Lucas that cost as much as $29,000 per night. That is that is nuts. So the California Globe did this because first they got a source that thought they spotted the Newsom family and they had a bunch of like, you know, black SUVs with government plates on them and blah, 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 blah. So uh, this this resort in Cabo, it's owned by a Russian entrepreneur and businessman named Oleg Tinkov. So before publishing the story... The Globe emailed the governor's press office on Tuesday and asked if they could tell them whether the governor paid for his vacation villa himself and if not, who did. They heard back from the governor's press secretary, Aaron Mellon, who said, quote, Katie, this was a personal trip paid for by the family, end quote. See, Katie Grimes has been around a little bit. She then asked, quote, what family paid for this, end quote. And... Uh, yeah, that's because they're trying to be crafty, right? And so she eventually said it was funded by, quote, the Newsom family, end quote. So she said, okay, well, did he, in fact, stay at this resort? Well, she did not really deny it, but she said she couldn't say where he stayed because of security reasons, which is horseshit, because he was already back in the United States. So that's nonsense. So then they asked her to take the story down. She wouldn't. But then a second source came up, and they had a picture of Newsom and his family at a much closer. And this is my. And this this pic. The first picture was like, ah, it could be him. The second picture definitely is him. You can see his kid. You can see his wife. Now this is a public beach near this resort, and so. We're just wondering now, because, you know, if you guys have been listening, you remember, Gavin Newsom's been doing some weird shit. First, he cancels his climate excursion to Scotland. And if there's anybody who would love to stand up in front of the international community and bloviate about climate change, it's Gavin Newsom. I mean, he fucking loves that shit, right? So why did... And then, once he canceled the trip, he dropped out of sight for almost two weeks. Remember? And nobody heard. He was at the Capitol, but he wasn't doing any public appearances. He was he was just off the radar completely. And now, then, then this comes up, where he's with his wife and kid at some resort. I'm telling you, something weird is going on. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that maybe 
he was kind of screwing around with one of his staff members and his wife maybe threw down the law and said, hey, you're going to, you're not going to Scotland. You're going to hang out with us, and then you're going to take me to a resort in Cabo. <laughs> and again, pure speculation. But it is plausible. Gavin Newsom does has, have a history, as I went into the other week, of uh, being a little bit of a philanderer, having a wandering eye, if you will. Remember, he banged his chief of staff's wife when he was mayor of San Francisco. His chief of staff and best friend, I should add. So he's definitely not above that sort of thing. Let's do a military story. The United States Army, specifically the 101st Airborne Division, has launched an inquiry into the planning and execution of a helicopter flyover of Nashville's Nissan Stadium before an NFL game on November 14th. So this is fucking, talk about Karens, dude. These are Chinooks, right? And they had helicopters from the 101st Airborne Division's Combat Aviation Group Brigade. They're at Fort Campbell. And they cruised over the stadium for a pregame flyover. Well, the flyover was, they're helicopters, right? So the flyover's kind of low. They're 50 to 100 feet off the deck, which if you know anything about being in a helicopter is fucking nothing. I mean, you military guys, you combat vets, you know you've skimmed the earth in the helicopters before, right? Well, all the Karens in the fucking stadium lost their minds about this. And they were like, oh my, this is just so scary. Look how low the helicopters are, you guys. Jesus Christ. And some fucking dopey retired aviation inspector with the FAA uh, claimed, oh, this, this could have been a disaster. A number of military helicopter pilots, however, contacted by Task and Purpose in the Army Times said they considered the flight to be very safe. Yes, it was low altitude. They are helicopters after all. Yeah, a bunch of people at the stadium were apparently you know, soiling their fucking diapers. It was helicopter. Man, help over, over an awesome flyover. So now these pilots are being investigated for being, what, awesome? Man, save us from these people, please. Uh, speaking of uh, stadium crowds, did you see the University of Southern California had to apologize because they were playing BYU? And apparently the crowd started chanting, quote, fuck the Mormons, end quote. So USC had to tweet out an apology. Now, I could not find a video of that, which, you, which is kind of weird. I mean, you'd think it's a whole stadium full of people. This is a big story, and you'd think there'd be one video of them chanting it. But I couldn't find any. However, multiple people reported hearing it loud and clear, and that was enough to force USC officials to apologize on it. And what's funny is USC's quarterback, Jackson Dart, is actually a member of the Mormon church. So, little amusing story there. Now, how about uh, this one? Here's an update, you guys. Do you remember this story? Remember the story of that, f of that just disgusting Arizona nurse who raped the 29-year-old woman in the nursing home who was in a vegetative state and actually got her pregnant? That was Nathan Sunderland. He was a former nurse at Hacienda Healthcare in Phoenix. Well, he has been sentenced. He got 10 years in prison. How is that? That seems very low to me. <laughs> Shouldn't, this should be life in prison. His abuse was discovered in December 2018 
after another nurse noticed that the woman was going through labor and later gave birth to a baby boy. Um, now, of course, the victim's family lawyer said the Hacienda missed dozens of signs that the woman was carrying a baby, including her swollen abdomen. Well, where was the family on this? Yeah, I agree with them, but shouldn't you have also noticed the swollen abdomen? Jesus. Nathan Sunderland is 38 years old. This pregnancy was discovered in 2018. Yeah, they were changing the garments and found out that the patient was in process of delivering a child. Uh, Sutherland blamed being sexually assaulted at an orphanage and neglected by his mother. Hmm. Yeah, he did plead guilty, so he got a lesser sentence than he, he would have done. And the judge is taking into account the more than 1,000 days already served by him, and that has been deducted from his 10-year sentence. They did do a DNA match to uh, match. That victim had lived at Hacienda for 26 years. Her medical condition stemmed from a brain disorder that caused motor and cognitive impairments and vision loss. She also had no functional use of her limbs. Yikes. So basically, she was three years old. She lived there from the time she was three years old. Man. I thank God every day for my health, man. I mean, the kidney thing aside, you know, there before that could that could have been me. You're born with something fucked up in your head, and that's it. Let's go to Alec Baldwin. Yes, he did do an interview with ABC News's George Stephanopoulos, and you know, it was disgusting the way they marketed this. Like on Twitter, ABC News was putting out tweets that were like, Alec Baldwin, George Stephanopoulos, see the interview. That's how I read it in my head. Th- that, that was literally how it was typed out. Alec Baldwin, George Stephanopoulos. And every time I looked at it, I did the movie voiceover guy, you know? I mean, it was like nausea. And they had like the dramatic music. And it was like, dude, a fucking woman died here. Can we have a little respect? We have to turn everything into a reality TV show. That's what I hate about American TV, man. It's not you don't have to. It's the story's dramatic enough as it is without your stupid music. And and again, can we have a little respect for the woman who was killed? So every time I look at that tweet, Alec Baldwin, George Stephanopoulos, the final sit down tonight on ABC. Gross. Side note: I should also be a movie voiceover guy. Remember, Alec Baldwin did shoot and kill Hale. Halina, H-A-L-Y-N-A. Halina Hutchins, a 42-year-old cinematographer that was back on October 21st. He's 63. Now, he says he was holding a gun. He says he did not pull the trigger. And he told ABC that he doesn't feel responsible. (laughs) Wow. First of all... don't doesn't he have lawyers? Like, remember, he was the executive producer on this. He's gonna face massive lawsuits. So what the fuck is he doing talking at all? Dude, you should be shutting up and letting everything go through your lawyers. I don't know what he's thinking. I do kind of know what he's thinking. So he's he has a huge ego, right? And he's thinking to himself, I'll just go up there and I'll cry a little bit and I'll be all dramatic because I'm a train I'm an actor. I know how to manipulate people. And people feel sorry for me, and then I'll get off scot-free. That's what he's thinking in his head. But, um, yeah, he, he was, uh, you know, crying and all that. He did that interview with ABC. 
He also criticized George Clooney. Uh, side note there, because apparently George Clooney, Clooney chimed in on this accident. I don't know. Yeah, he maintains that he did not pull the trigger and that the gun just, quote, went off. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I do have a clip from this interview. So let's hear this clip from ABC she was News. Who was loved by everyone who worked with and liked by everyone who worked with and admired. Comes the tears. See this? Hear the stupid music in the background? I mean, even now, I find it hard to believe that. It just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem real to me. You haven't said much in public since that tragic accident. Why speak out now? I think the big question, and the one you must have asked yourself a thousand times, how could this have happened? You've described it as a one in a trillion shot, and the gun was in your hand. How do you come to terms with that? It wasn't in the script for the trigger to be pulled. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So you never pulled the trigger? No, no, no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. What did you think happened? How did a real bullet get on I, that set? I have no idea. Someone put a live bullet in a gun, a bullet that wasn't even supposed to be on the property. How do you respond to actors like George Clooney who say that every time they were handed a gun, they checked it themselves? Your emotions are so clearly so right there on the surface. You felt shock. You felt anger. You felt sadness. Do you feel guilt? You said you're not a victim, but is this the worst thing that's ever happened to you? Yes. Because I, I, I think back, and I think of what could I have done. Okay, let me just stop it there. You hear the fucking stupid music? That is gross. Uh, so, yeah, that's, um, as far as the gun thing, like, remember, this was not a modern competition gun shooting a pistol with, like, fucking a two-pound trigger grip. Even then, there's no excuse for it, but still. This was like a cowboy gun. So... It requires some force to actually pull the trigger. Like, I'm, I, I looked at it. It's like a cowboy revolver, a wheel gun, right? There's no way that it just went off. I'll just say that right now. The only even conceivable circumstance, I was talking about this with some military guys, in which, like, maybe if you had, like, say you're in combat and you have a belt-fed machine gun that you're fucking running wide open, right? You got, like, a 240, a 249, the equivalent... And you're fucking just mowing down fucking Taliban left and right. You're fucking laying hate, dude. And you're just going through fucking mad. You're just going through fucking just just tons and tons of linked ammo. Conceivably, if you took a break and you had a round in the chamber and the barrel is fucking red hot, conceivably, under those conditions, a round might cook off without you pulling the trigger because the barrel is like bright red, glowing orange, and everything is hot as shit. Again, because you just fucking laid waste to the Taliban, and your fucking your big dick and balls are bulging in your pants, and conceivably, then a round could perhaps cook off in the chamber and exit the weapon. Conceivably. Now, obviously... None of that is applicable to what happened in the Alec Baldwin situation. So him saying it just went off as nonsense. Now, I do kind of agree with him. It's not completely his fault, 
Because as an actor, you do at a certain point have to have faith that the three people who checked the weapon for you went through... Because George Clooney said, yes, he checked the weapon. I understand that. Did George Clooney, like, empty the magazine of all 15 rounds that were in it and go through all those rounds after three other people had checked the rounds and then put all the rounds back in? I fucking doubt it, dude. So at a certain point, you do have to have some faith in the armor and the three other producers who all checked the weapon. I, I, I sort of sympathize with him on that. And I don't know enough to comment on... I've heard that you never really point the weapon at the actual actor. You're, the, the camera angles just make it look like you do. But for this particular shot, he was pointing it not at an actor, but off towards the cinematographer. I don't know. I don't know enough about that. It's very convoluted. That's going to come out in the civil trial in a court case. So I, I will give him a very small break on that. But for him to say it's not fucking... It just went off. That's bullshit. And for him to say also that he doesn't feel guilt... Like, even if it was, you know, completely not your fault somehow, like, wouldn't you, st I would still feel, I'd feel like horrible. I'd like, I was there. Like, I feel horrible, you know? I don't know he's a crazy guy anyway. Okay. Uh, let's go to, uh, let's do some political stuff. I got a few videos here. Let's start with, uh, I got a few congressmen getting death threats. So you guys remember the other week when I talked about Lauren Boebert? That's the Republican representative from Colorado, and she called her the Jihad Squad and all that, blah, blah, blah. So that was a big scandal. I really don't care what they say about each other. But she played at a press conference a death threat she received, did Ilhan Omar, after Lauren Boebert's uh, uh, comments about her. So let's first listen to this recorded death threat and see how well the audio is and how much we can hear. I'm Here we go. I'm going to play you a voicemail that we received hours after I got off the phone with Representative Bulbert after she posted her video. Remember, they had like a little come to Jesus apology. Here we go. We know what you're up to. They're all about taking over the country. Don't worry, there's plenty that will love the opportunity to take you off the face of this fucking earth. Come get it, but you fucking Muslim piece of shit, you jihadist. We know what you are. You're a fucking traitor. You will not live much longer, bitch. I can almost guarantee you that. We the people are rising up, and you will be tried for a military tribunal. Jesus. And you will be found guilty. For those of you... Okay, let me stop her there. So, yes, well. you know what? Fucking completely... That's completely psychotic, obviously. It should be, go without saying. Um... It just it's just I I don't even know how you do that like you that guy probably doesn't even live in her state or anything blah blah it's totally psychotic and that you are going to be tracked down by the FBI for all you fucking nuts considering to do that there's very much ways of criticizing Ilhan Omar without calling her the sand n word and the uh, fucking that you're not going to live much longer and we're going to take you out there's plenty of ways to criticize her and there's lots of things to criticize her over without resorting to that so don't be an idiot now. That was heavily covered by the media, and the comments under there were all very sympathetic. But let's compare that to this. The right-wing kook, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, also got many death threats. And the difference here is this was barely covered by the media, 
and she put this on her uh, Twitter account, and the comments underneath were all like, well, yeah, you deserve it. <laughs> so, But here is a comp... She plays a compilation of... This video is actually almost 10 minutes long. I'm not going to play the whole thing. And some of the audio is better than others, but I'm going to play it uh, for a couple minutes. Let's hear these uh, uh, videos that she decides to play. By the way, this is all... Yes, I know. The video contains explicit language, violent death threats, blah, 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 blah. Okay, here she is. This is Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I would like to talk to you about death threats to members of Congress. It is not okay. It is completely wrong for any member of Congress to receive death threats. I have been the most attacked freshman member of Congress probably in United States history. The media has defamed me. They have completely smeared my character called me names and labeled me horrible things, none of which I am. None of the things are true they have said about me, but this is what they produce. You see, when the media lies about us and teaches people to hate us, members of Congress, this is the result. So I'm just going to play a handful, just a few of the death threats that I receive on a very frequent basis. All right, here we go. Constitutional for members of Congress to object to electoral college votes. Okay, okay, all right, get to the next. Yeah, yes, get to the next one. That one wasn't too. You guys probably. I'm hoping you kind of heard it because again, I'm still dealing with the new equipment here. But I know some other ones are in this video that are a little bit more clear. And she's talking about. Uh, here, here we go. Here's more of them. Yeah, play. Okay, Grandma. You be taken out and stop. Okay. You should be taken out. Wow. Again? You, yeah. Green, Kayla, 
Oh. Just to be clear, I care about somebody. Somebody got into the box wine. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. I'm not going to play the. Re- there are many other good ones. If you want, they're posted on her Twitter account. It's I believe it's at RepMTG. So you guys can go listen to that. Uh, more political news. Stacey Abrams says she's running for Georgia governor again. Remember, she ran against Governor Brian Kemp in 2018. And she lost narrowly. She did never concede to him, by the way. And uh, she announced that she is going to run to him again. Now, why do I say this? Because she uh, basically lied her face off on the Rachel Maddow show. Here's an interview she did on MSNBC. And this was just a day or so ago. Claiming that after the 2018 Georgia governor's race, she acknowledged that she wouldn't become governor and she didn't challenge the outcome. So let's hear this first. And on the night, on the 16th of November, when I acknowledged that I would not become the governor, that he had won the election, I did not challenge the outcome of the election, unlike some recent folks did. What I said was that the system was not fair. Okay, so you guys heard that. She says she did not challenge the election, but you know what? The internet is forever. And somebody came up with a little compilation. So why don't we roll the tape of her? And despite the final tally and the inauguration, we won. We won. When you win an election, you haven't won an election. I did win my election. I just didn't get to have the job. Until you win an election, you haven't won an election. You uh, notably did not concede. Okay. Until you win an election, you haven't won an election. You refuse to concede and say that you lost. Do you stand by that decision today? Absolutely. Of 10 uh, Trump supporters uh, would not uh, recognize uh, such a win if that were the case. What does that mean for a state like this? Uh, the, the rancor that has pervaded this campaign is just, it's, it's disturbing and it's distressing, but it's also a fixable problem. The enthusiasm that we saw for Sarah Palin had a similar bent, uh, but we eventually found our way back to being good citizens, and I think we'll do the same. All right, you heard her. They, did not, they won. She won. <clears throat> That's what she said. She won. Uh, what else like this? Oh, here's uh, here's more of Pete Ducey, and he was asking uh, Biden, because remember, Biden has now presided over more uh, COVID-related deaths than the Trump regime did. So Ducey decided to ask Jen Psaki a fun question about that. Talk too. about the first Trump-Biden debate today, but at the second one, in 2020, when roughly 220,000 Americans had already died of COVID, Joe Biden said about Trump, anyone who is responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. Is that still the standard now that more Americans have died under President Biden than President Trump? <laughs> I think the fundamental question here is, what are you doing to save lives? No, no, that wasn't the question. And the former president was suggesting people inject bleach. He never, he apparently never did reportedly that. didn't even share with people he was going to interact with that he had tested positive for COVID himself. So he continued to provide a forum for misinformation, which probably led to people not getting, uh, not taking steps forward to get to protect themselves, mm. to wear masks, to eventually get vaccinated. This president has made the vaccine widely available. He's relied on the health. Uh, yeah, but, but, yeah, but that's not what Biden said. Biden says that anybody who's responsible for that many deaths should never be president. Well, and here he is. Here's, here's Joe Biden during the campaign. 
Remember, you said he's going to shut down the virus. Let's what I would say is I'm going to shut down the virus, not the country. I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'll shut down the virus, not the economy. Well, I'm going to shut down the virus. Once we shut down the virus, I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. <laughs> I'm not going to shut down the country, but I'm going to shut down the virus. Yeah, woo! Okay, yeah, and again, just like I said last week, Joe Biden is not responsible for COVID spreading, just like Trump was not. This is beyond what anybody can do. If you want to continue to have a global civilization and an economy without collapsing it into complete ruins, you have to go out and live your lives, and therefore the virus is going to spread, as I said a year and a half ago. And as I continue to say now, then to ascribe it to any one dopey politician is stupid, Trump or Biden. All right. So I think I have some more uh, audio in a little bit, but uh, let's keep going. Let's go to our COVID update. Speaking of the COVID stuff, and uh, let's see what we have for our Latest numbers, total reported cases, 48,947,721 cases in the U.S. That is a plus 13% in the 14-day change. Total reported deaths in the United States, 786,270. That is a minus 2% in the 14-day change. Health departments are identifying around 95,000 cases a day, about the same as before Thanksgiving. And uh, leading the country in recent cases per capita, New Hampshire, Michigan, and Minnesota. Uh, More than 55,000 coronavirus patients are hospitalized nationwide. That is fewer than in September, but an increase of more than 15% over the last two weeks. The current outbreak continues to be driven by the highly transmissible Delta variant. About 60% of Americans are fully vaccinated. All right, so with our... Let us now go to the kind of live updates page. Uh, First of all, the FDA has authorized an Eli Lilly antibody treatment for high-risk young children. That's for infants and children under age 12 because they have a condition such as obesity or diabetes. Well, you know what? You should fucking lose weight, first of all. Previously, high-risk patients, high-risk COVID patients 12 or older had been eligible to get these drugs. These drugs are typically administered intravenously at a clinic or hospital. Uh, what else? Fauci and other top U.S. health officials project resolve in fighting the Omicron variant. Yes, it's very scary. And the variant has now been detected in 10 United States. Um, they do think the current vaccines are pretty effective on them. Omicron is spreading more than twice as quickly as the Delta variant in South Africa. That was posted by scientists on Twitter by the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Uh, What else? More states detect the Omicron variant as U.S. health officials brace for community spread. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Shorthanded hospitals in upstate New York are filling up as COVID cases are surging up there. Anything else that I wanted to... I'm, oh, this is, this is... A lot of you guys sent this to me. A man in Italy tries to get a shot in a fake arm to qualify for a vaccination certificate. <laughs> yeah. A nurse was preparing to give a man a dose of COVID vaccine when she realized that the small patch of arm he offered in a gap between his T-shirt and sweatshirt looked much pinker than his face. When she touched it, 
she realized it was rubber foam. <laughs> the man wore a thick theater corset covered in rubber foam to which two foam arms are attached. The nurse added that it was actually quite well made. So his goal, yes, was to maintain a uh, to get obtain a vaccination certificate, enabling him to go to work. So that's a uh, that's pretty unique. Um, he was actually when he was confronted, he was actually pretty pleasant. <laughs> she was angry because she was thinking that hey, how could you think a nurse couldn't tell the difference between rubber foam and skin? It was reported to the police. It's unclear if he was arrested or not. What else on the live updates page? Anything? It's the same old shit, really. Uh, News from around the world. Um, Nightclubs, restaurants, and movie theaters in Auckland, New Zealand, reopened to vaccinated customers more than 100 days after the city went into lockdown because of the Delta variant. Officials in South Korea said they would temporarily reverse the phased reopening they began last month. Um, Ireland announced on Friday new restrictions ahead of the Omicron variant's arrival. Starting Tuesday and until January 9th, indoor events will be capped at half capacity. And a pair of hippos at the Antwerp Zoo in Belgium have tested positive for the coronavirus. Oh, that's it. You know what? Save the hippos at all costs. Extremely high on the animal hierarchy. They just look so cool. Don't hippos look awesome? Yeah, plus they're killers too. Those things will fuck you. You, don't want to be, you do not want to be caught between a hippo and the river it's trying to get back to if you're in Africa. That is like a fucking death sentence right there. Um, Botswana, that's where some of the first, that's one of the first places Omicron was detected. Uh, he, the, the leader of Botswana, President Makwitsi Masisi, told CNN. It was brought to the country by foreign diplomats from Europe. Hmm. He did not offer more details. That's funny. Those damn foreigners. Uh, so what is Omicron? They've called it a variant of concerned. What do, they, what do we know about Omicron's presence? Well, like I said, it's in a few states. Pretty much people get symptoms. They have mild symptoms, so they get a cold, and everybody's freaking out about it. And they do think that not only are the vaccines effective against it, but the vaccine makers say they can tweak existing formulations to make the shots more effective against new variants. Uh, Also, the U.S. is going to impose new travel rules, by the way. Uh, On Thursday, the Biden administration shortened the time frame for international travelers to the United States to take a COVID test within a day before departure, regardless of vaccination status. Oh, terrific. I got that to look forward to. And then Jim Cramer from CNBC, Mad Money, the host, he fucking went a little ballistic. Let me play this clip first, and then let me tell you why he went a little ballistic. Here's Jim Cramer on Mad Money. Lord knows what happened if you didn't partake. But back then, anyone who refused to get vaccinated would get ratted out immediately because we knew that person could hurt other people. The commonweal was a, a commonweal. Now we're engaged in a similar struggle with COVID, and Eisenhower would be aghast. We have immunocompromised people who are incubators for every variant to come, walking around lawfully unvaccinated. That's psychotic. We have companies that have tried hard to get people vaccinated and now backing down. 
We have governors who want to be president by grandstanding on a foolish state's right issue, the right to get sick and get other people sick. So it's time to admit that we have to go to war against COVID. Require vaccination universally. Have the military run it. If you don't want to get vaccinated, you better be ready to prove your conscientious objector status in court. And even then, you need to help in the war effort by staying home until we finally beat this thing. Okay, so Jim Cramer thinks the military should forcibly vaccinate people, and if you don't want to, you can stay at home until the COVID's over. Here's the thing. Because the Omicron variant, the markets have taken a shit like the last week, and like everybody else, you know, I've, I've lost some money. Jim Cramer, this just shows you how greedy these fucks are. Jim Cramer has tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, right? But losing like 1% of that in a temporary stock market dip, that's why he's losing his mind. He can't have himself losing money. That's how sick these people are. It's never enough. They're insatiable. The fucking greed is what just kills me. I mean, my, when is it enough? I have nowhere near, like, even 1% of what Jim Cramer probably has. You see me fucking cry-facing about it? And he wants the military to fucking go around and demand people show their papers. And if you don't, you could sit at home in a prisoner in your own home. Until what? Until zero COVID? Until there's zero COVID cases? Fucking weirdo. Anyway, he's wrong anyway about all kinds of shit in the stock market. He's a mediocre stock picker at best. Okay, quickly, a few trial updates that are going on. Let's start with uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. Of course, Jeffrey Epstein's what? Consort? Pimp? Lover? Whatever you want to call her. Yeah, they had the... the uh, this is the first week of the Maxwell trial. And so, uh, remember, she is 59 years old. She is in trial on fe in federal court district in Manhattan on charges that she helped Jeffrey Epstein, her longtime companion, is what the New York Times went with, to recruit, groom, and ultimately abuse young girls. If convicted, she could face up to 70 years in prison. Uh, first, they had a former household manager for Epstein's Palm Beach home. He took the stand and testified about the strict rules Ms. Maxwell had imposed on Epstein's staff and the sex toys he had found in Epstein's massage rooms, which, which by the way, included some massive double-headed dildo. <laughs> Jurors got a close-up of one of Epstein's massage tables. Ew. They unfolded it in the courtroom. That's funny. The police saw photographs of nude females and, oh, here we go, seized a large sex toy in 2005. The large sex toy was called the Twin Torpedo. A photograph of it was shown to the jury. Thankfully, it wasn't the original one. It was a, one of them, another, ver still in the box. Um, the house was, a, a police officer testified that when they went to the uh, Epstein home in October of 2005, the house was filled with photographs, including some of nude females. Um, any, what else here at, uh, two, Maxwell has two lawyers and they have represented her for at least five years. And so that's, this is pretty much all like underlying stuff. By the way, she's also repeatedly requesting to be released on bail and a judge has been denying her release on bail saying she is a big time flight risk. So that concluded the first week. What other trials are going on? Well, we've got the Elizabeth Holmes trial. That is the Theranos founder, that big uh, startup scam I've talked about quite a bit. 
And if you guys want to read the whole story of Theranos and how she scammed all these fucking old old guys, including uh, General Mad Dog Mattis, you can go read that book, Bad Blood. Highly recommended. Or watch the HBO documentary. Also very good. I believe the HBO documentary is called The Founder. Uh, so she took the stand, and she's basically blaming um, her ex-business partner and lover, Ramesh Balwani, for all her problems saying that he emotionally and physically abused her. She said on the stand while crying, quote, he would force me to have sex with him when I didn't want to because he would say that he wanted me to know he still loved me, end quote. This trial has been going on three months. She is accused of lying and faking her way into hundreds of millions of dollars for her failed blood testing startup, Theranos. Prosecutors are trying to show that she, remember, she was widely uh, beloved, by the startup community, by the women's organizations. She had misled investors, doctors, and patients about the efficacy of Theranos' blood testing technology. She was indicted in 2018 along Mr. Balwani, and they are undergoing separate fraud cases. He will be tried next year. So now basically she's going to say she's going to blame everything on him, and I assume that when his trial starts, he's going to blame everything on her. And the third trial that's going on, and by far the most interesting one to me, is the hapless, foolish, bumbling Jussie Smollett. Yes, he of the fake hate crime. Remember, this is MAGA country? Yeah, that guy. So that, that trial's going on. So, latest on that, Jussie Smollett jurors have been shown surveillance videos of the Empire TV show star performing a dry run the day before he faked the Chicago hate crime attack. Um, and also, Chicago police detective Michael Thies took the stand on Tuesday morning as the first prosecution witness. He said Smollett was first treated like the victim of a bigoted hate crime and had the sympathy of cops. The actor told him one of his attackers was white and the other was light-skinned around his eyes. He said that Smollett was uncooperative and declined to give a DNA swab, which immediately made detectives suspicious. He said that cops wanted the sample to be able to rule out Smollett's DNA from the, quote, noose, end quote, around his neck, and hopefully then find that of the assailants. He testified that cops spent thousands of hours combing through surveillance footage. Smollett's attorney, on the other hand, said that the Nigerian brothers, that would be Alabinjo and Abimbola, Osendairo targeted him and framed him because, quote, they hate who he is as a person, end quote. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, so that's going on right now. It's funny because, <laughs> you know, they did that dry run, and then he got all pissed off because the attack wasn't caught on camera the way it was supposed to be. But those two Nigerian brothers, remember, were shown on video going into a hardware store for a rope and masks and hats. And then they went to the bank to deposit the $3,500 check Smollett paid them to commit the act. That's hilarious. Remember, this all happened, was it January 29th? Uh, I'm sorry. January 27th, 2019 is when this attack apparently happened. And the two Nigerian brothers confessed it was a hoax when they were taken into custody on February 14th, a couple weeks after the original attack. Now, 
Remember, on January 22nd, 2019, seven days before the attack, Smollett received a letter at the studios of Empire which called him the N-word and a, quote, faggot, end quote. And the brothers were questioned by the police. They claimed that Smollett had hired them because he was annoyed that producers at Empire, the TV show, did not take the letter seriously enough or make enough of a fuss over it. That's funny. Smollett's attorney also um, cross-examined the cop, Thies, and he admitted that he had heard from another member of the Empire cast that um, one of the brothers who'd worked on set had attacked some of the some of the crew members for being gay, but the cops never followed up on it. Okay, whatever. He's, they're just throwing up shit up against the wall to see if it's sick. And uh, from another news site, this is funny. This is a little detail. Smollett's defense has argued at trial that the man the actor says attacked him was a former lover who masturbated with him in a gay bathhouse. Mmm! God. <laughs> Come on. Oh, no. Uh, where is this part? I'm just scrolling down this uh, part here. Uh, Smollett's defense attorney is a guy named Shay Allen. Uh, so one of the Nigerian brothers, Abimbola, told the court that he and Smollett had visited a gay bathhouse together called Steamworks in Chicago's gay neighborhood of Boys Town. Allen asked him on Thursday if gay porn had been playing on TVs at the bathhouse, but Abimbola said he did not recall. The attorney continued, quote, you don't recall seeing gay pornography? You don't remember masturbating with him? End quote. Abimbola responded, quote, no. End quote. Oh, God. This is, I need a shower just after this. This is good stuff. Yep, they're just throwing it up against the wall. All right. Um, and then uh, quickly, let's keep going here. Um... By the way, let's go to Twitter. CEO Jack Dorsey is stepping down from his chief executive officer role. He founded Twitter in 2006, and this is notable because he's being replaced by a guy named Parag Agrawal, who is the company's chief technology officer. And this is a big shift at the company. And, you know, it's being said, Dorsey's 45 years old, by the way. And he really, as much as people don't want to believe it, he really was kind of a libertarian, you know, who didn't, he resisted calls by the government to say like, well, you got to censor all this stuff. And he kind of did resist it. But you know what? Now, after fucking being called up to, to Congress multiple times and having to answer stupid questions from out of touch old congressmen, he's sick of it, obviously. So he's quitting. And this is kind of ominous because his successor apparently does not share his love for free speech. And indeed, one of the first things that Twitter put into place, and this they announced this on Tuesday, is a new policy that states that photos or videos of private individuals with, that are posted without their permission will be taken down at their request. Their rules, of course, already prohibit the posting of private information like addresses, phone numbers, and medical records. But this is a huge deal, especially for journalists. You know how much, so much shit would not be captured on Twitter. You couldn't show, uh, and, and if from a left-wing point of view, 
Say you wanted to identify all the people on uh, the January 6th riot when they fought the cops, right? If you put it out on Twitter, that person could contact Twitter, say, hey, that's me, I want that taken down immediately, and they would have to do it. Now, true, they do have to contact Twitter. They're not going to just take it down uh, automatically as of yet, or so they claim. We'll see how that happens. And then from a right-wing point of view, how about all these Antifa guys that you want to identify? Burning down the Portland courthouse. You wouldn't be able to put any of that stuff out on Twitter. And that's what the journalists are bitching about, too. Yeah, and this goes further than U.S. law, by the way, which allows people to be photographed or filmed in public places. Under Twitter's policy, people could request that photos of them be taken down even if the images were taken in public. Now, how the fuck you're ever going to enforce this? Hard to say. Twitter claims its policy is consistent with privacy laws in the European Union and elsewhere. Well, it's a, we're, there are a bunch of communists out here. So, yeah. They plan to make exceptions for newsworthy images and videos. Well, the big question is, what is newsworthy, right? And if you, do you think this is going to be applied evenly across the board? Absolutely not. Uh, a little more fun. The year in emojis. Yeah, they maintain the most used emojis of 2021. What was the most used emoji of 2021? Well, the number one is the tears of joy emoji. And the number two is the red heart emoji. <laughs> this is the tears of joy is also known as the laughing crying emoji. I know you guys, I like emojis. You like emojis. It's very good. And uh, that's what the list they point out. The syringe emoji jumped to 193rd place this year compared to 282nd in 2019. Very good. If you guys want to find out the whole list, you can go to uh, Google quote the year in emojis, end quote. All right. More gun news. California's ban on high-capacity magazines has been reinstated by an appeals court. In a 7-4 vote, the U.S. Court of Appeals for Ninth Circuit upheld a state ban on magazines that hold more than 10 rounds of ammunition that reverses a federal judge's decision that said the statute violated gun owners' Second Amendment rights. Yep. In the appeals court ruling, they rejected the argument of gun rights groups that the state law first passed in 2000 and strengthened in 2016 violated the core right of California gun owners to self-defense. And then attorney, California Attorney General Stupid Rod Bonta, he came out and said, uh, fucking, he, he talked about gun violence as an epidemic. I mean, again, most gun violence is done by handguns. The vast majority of it is done by handguns. Uh, whatever. So that'll continue to be fought out in court. What else do I have here? A man who planted razor blades in pizza dough has gotten five years in prison. He admitted he planted razor blades in the pizza dough being sold at a supermarket in Maine, prompting a recall by the chain in five states. What a freak. Nicholas Mitchell pled guilty to tampering with the dough at a Hannaford supermarket in Saco, Maine. Uh, four months earlier, he had been fired from his job at It'll Be Pizza, a dough manufacturer that supplies Hannaford stores as well as the small pizzeria chain Portland Pie Company. So fucking four months go by and you're still that pissed off about it that you go to the store and plant the razors and pizza dough. Okay. 
Well, you're weird. Okay, uh, how about this? Who is... You guys are never going to get this one. Who is... Pop quiz. Connor Betts. Connor Betts is the Ohio shooter who killed nine people, including his sister, in that Dayton, Ohio mass shooting two years ago. You guys remember that? And he did have an AR-15-style rifle. Yep. Why is he in the news? Well... The FBI released a report on him and said that he had fantasized about serial killings for more than a decade. Uh, he was 24. Remember, he was killed by police 30 seconds after he opened fire in Dayton, Ohio's crowded Oregon District Entertainment Area. But not before he killed nine people, including his younger sister, 22-year-old Megan. And he also wounded dozens more outside the Ned Pepper's Bar on 5th Street. So the FBI came out and said, like, yeah, this is a fucking complete nutcase. They released a summary of the investigation. They did not address whether Betts intended to kill his sister or if her death was inadvertent. Now, another mass shooting guy that was also in the news was... I just lost my tab, guys. I apologize. Here it is. Um, this was... Ahmed Al-Alui Alyssa. Who was that? That was the 22-year-old who fatally shot 10 people at a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado. He's in the news because a judge yesterday, Friday, found that he is mentally incompetent to stand trial and has ordered that he be treated at a state hospital. Get out of here. Uh, this happened earlier this year, March 22nd. He was armed with, again, semi-automatic rifle and a pistol when he walked into a King Supers store and opened fire. Ten people were killed as shoppers and employees ran for cover. He was charged with ten counts of first-degree murder, which in Colorado carries a penalty of life imprisonment without parole. Well, they could just fucking off him, but they won't. Uh, let's see. Joel Osteen was in the news. The megachurch founder. <laughs> this is funny. Um, they fucking found a shitload of cash. And this was found by a plumber at one of his uh, churches. And this was found by a plumber fixing a toilet inside a church bathroom. The plumber revealed the discovery when he called into a Houston radio show. He said there was a loose toilet in the wall. We removed the tile, and they go to remove the toilet, and about 500 envelopes fell out of the wall. He then gave the church the envelopes. On Friday, Houston police confirmed that the money appeared to be connected to a 2014 theft, and that was when the Lakewood Church in Houston reported that $200,000 in cash and $400,000 in checks may have been stolen from, or had been stolen from a church safe. Well, I guess it didn't get very far. Uh, they inventoried the money, and they said that the recovered checks suggested that, yes, it was due to that March 9th, 2014 theft report. So what is this? Hmm. The plumber identified himself only as Justin, and the host of the morning show had asked callers to share stories of the valuable things they had found, and so he, he called in. I guess he didn't call the cops first. During the call, the plumber noted there was a $25,000 reward offered. He said he never thought about pocketing any of the envelopes. Well, good for him. 
Uh, so, oh, someone who found the money. Oh, I see. Someone who found the money would not qualify the re- for the reward unless the discovery led the police to a suspect. Well, they still don't have a suspect. And he actually found the stash on November 10th. He said he contacted the church and the cops and he didn't hear anything. Okay. Very strange. More to that story. Uh, Chris Cuomo has been suspended. That dope on CNN. That's fucking funny, dude. And this was all because he decided to use his journalistic contacts to dig into women's history who had been accusing his stupid brother, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York, of sex harassment. And uh, so, yes, now he has been indefinitely suspended. Well, no great loss there, that's for sure. Boy, it's always these people who lecture you on your morals, right? They're found to be doing all this shit. All right. Let's go to um, a few more international stories. It's starting to run out of time. Uh, Germany's incoming chancellor wants vaccinations to be mandatory. Remember from last week, that is Olaf Scholz. He is designated to replace Angela Merkel. And he wants these to be mandatory by the end of February. He says that the country's high infection rates warranted the move. He was quoted as saying, quote, If we had a higher vaccination rate, we would have a different situation. End quote. Well, that's the Germans for you. Meanwhile, right by Germany in Austria, a double resignation has shaken Austrian politics. Sebastian Kurz, a former chancellor under investigation for influence buying and corruption, said he was quitting politics. Within hours, his successor and ally also resigned after only two months on the job. Uh, his successor's name was Alexander Schallenberg. He had served with Kurz as foreign minister. So now they're basically pretty rudderless as far as the party's concerned. This is the Austrian People's Party. And a new party leader could be named as early as uh, today, Saturday. Uh, they think maybe current interior minister, a guy named Karl Niehammer, might be favored for the job. Remember Kurz, he's only 35. And he quit on October 9th in the face of a growing scandal over influence buying and corruption that is now a subject of a criminal investigation. He said Thursday that he wanted to spend more time with his partner and newborn son. But many believe that Kurtz, who who at 31, by the way, became one of the world's youngest democratically elected heads of government in 2017, will not stay out of politics forever. In 2013, at the age of 27, he became the foreign minister of Austria. God... If you want to feel shitty about your life. Uh, Barbados has formally casted off the uh, United Kingdom and the Queen and has become a republic. They swore in their first president, ending nearly 400 years of British rule. Their first president will be Sandra Mason, a former governor general who had been appointed by the Queen. And uh, they will now no longer be a colony of any kind. And uh, they said uh, they should uh, do their own shit right now. They are an island nation, a democracy of about 300,000 people, and said last September that they would remove Queen Elizabeth as head of state, the latest Caribbean nation to do so. It joined Guyana, which gained independence in 1966, 
Trinidad and Tobago, which became independent in 1962, and Dominica, which gained full independence in 1978. Some nations that still call the Queen their head of state include Australia, Canada, Jamaica, New Zealand, and Papua New Guinea. And Barbados will remain part of the Commonwealth, which is a voluntary association of 54 countries with roots in the British Empire. Uh, let's see. Let's do a few um, clips here. The Supreme Court is doing the abortion thing. I can't stand this fucking topic, honestly. I've told you guys my thoughts on it. I'm not going to get into it anymore. But I did think it was funny that all of a sudden we're not hearing any of this nonsense about how men can become pregnant, too. Indeed, Whoopi Goldwerg was being highly problematic with this statement on The View. Let's listen to what she says here about this case. Any of you men have any eggs or the possibility of carrying a fetus? How dare you talk about what a fetus wants? You have no idea. Now, I'm, I'm fine if you disagree with abortion. I have no problem with that. My problem comes when you tell me what I need to do with my doctor and my family. How dare you? How dare you? Okay, so the problematic is she said, do any of you men have any eggs or the possibility of carrying a fetus? I don't know where Whoopi's been, but yes. According to our new woke regime, men are perfectly capable of having eggs and <laughs> giving a fetus or, or something. I, I can't keep track of it. Uh, let's go to this one. There was a controversy on Twitter they basically had a hate white people spaces. Twitter spaces is this thing where a bunch of people can call in. And you can listen to a bunch of audio. I got a few clips from it. Here's a bunch of like basically uh, black civil rights grifters, and they're talking about how much they hate white people. Let's uh, listen to a little bit of this. First, first of all, let me tell you something. If you're in here, or y'all go run back and tell them, y'all ain't got to tell them, tell them that nobody else said shit but me. I'm going to say, listen, you ain't got to chop shit up. I am for the white genocide. I am for the total erasure of the white race. I, you don't have to chop this up. Yes, I am for all of you white bitches dying like flies. I am for it. I am for it. I support it. I am for putting all you white possums in a gas chamber and letting that motherfucker ring, bitch. I am for it. So you don't have to chop shit up. I'm for it, and I'm going to stand ten toes down behind it, bitch. Simple as that. So you got to chop shit up. You ain't got to screw the shit. Bitch, I said it, and I stand on it. This is, this is, this is basically saying it out loud. I've told you guys, but there is an undercurrent in all this, like, race nonsense I do. There is definitely an undercurrent of real hatred uh, towards white, white people, especially you white women out there. You are, uh, you are not liked. By the uh, African-American women of the civil rights grift uh, demographic. That's for sure. Uh, here's another guy on the same conversation. Let's listen to this guy. They don't listen to that other shit, bro. Real it was shit? the same. It was the same when I went to the L.A. protest with Ron Taylor. Like, all the cops set out all that fucking, that fuck shit. Everybody was being peaceful and they was trying to riot and uh, uh, start bullshit. They had snipers on the fucking Jewish temples and shit like that. Everything. It, that shit was crazy. But I, I, I didn't go to be peaceful. I went for the riots personally. Me personally, I, I'm not advocating that for anybody else. I don't really care to do that. But I, I personally want to fuck up some white people. So that's just I what know, I that's do. Right, right. Shit. Hell yeah. I know that's right. <laughs> Y'all can't be saying this a lot. I know that's right. You go, girl. Uh-huh. That's right. Uh, let's see the Kyle Rittenhouse situation. Uh, the Apparently he was enrolled in a class at Arizona State University online. So even that was too much for the uh, race grifters there. So they held a protest 
And the counter-protesters showed up as well, where they chanted, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> I don't have that clip because it's just them chanting, let's go, Brandon. But here's one of the speakers at the protest talking about Rittenhouse at this. Let's listen. Um, we want to say Kyle Rittenhouse is not just any random killer. He's a white supremacist killer. He's a vigilante. He's a descendant of white Americans who killed black and brown people. No, he didn't. Well, yeah. They, by the way, he did not kill black and brown people. He killed two white guys, but, you know, whatever. Um, and let's see. I want to get these clips here. Here is, which one's this one? Oh, okay. This one's good. This is a person who's heavily tattooed all over their face, all over their neck, all over their chest, tattoos everywhere on their forehead, wearing glasses, um, appears to be a biological male. And you you got to see this to believe it. I don't know how to tell you to Google it, but he's basically tattooed head to toe, all over the face. His entire face is tattooed. Uh, let's uh, listen to what he has to say. Um, I'm just going to post this every time people ask me the same questions over and over again. My name's Farah. I am a trans woman as well as an intersex woman. My pronouns are she, her, they, them, or your grace. Uh, my eyes are tattooed. My nose is a piercing. I identify as a threat, a nightmare, and a goddess, so please bow down to me. I do not believe in God, I don't worship the devil, but yes, I am a Satanist, which means I am my own God and I worship myself. Thank you, have a good day. Okay, that person, by the way, you can be found on TikTok, at Farah Flawless. And of course, I just have one question for Mr. Ms. Flawless. Do you enjoy penis? Or do you not enjoy penis? That's really... All I want to know, and it's as simple as that. One more. The New York Times is investigating their wire cutter editor. Wire cutter is a, a segment of the New York Times. They talk about like tech and shit like that. And they are investigating them for apparently calling up a gun rights group in Michigan and leaving like basically voicemails. The National Association for Gun Rights posted an audio on YouTube directed at the Great Lakes Gun Groups, one of its affiliates, after that November shooting in a suburban Detroit high school. Uh, so let us go ahead and listen to the audio clip of this reporter from the New York Times calling the gun rights group. Here we go. Hi, I'm a journalist with the New York Times. Um, I'm just calling to wonder, I have two questions. How do you sleep at night? And aren't you just like a little bit worried that there might be a hell? And when you meet God, he will send you there? That's just my, my only question. Third question. Uh... The only people politicizing this seems to be you because you're the only people I got a press release from. Again, I am from the New York Times, and I'm letting everyone in the New York Times know what kind of people you are. Congrats on being a laughing stock. Well, that's not a very good reporter. <laughs> oh, there's more? God in heaven, so he judges you when you die. Okay, that was it. Okay, I hope there's a God in heaven so he judges you when you die. All right. Um, now, the, I, I spoke of that. I did want to get to that quickly. The uh, Michigan shooting. Here we go. The Michigan shooting suspect. He is facing murder and terrorism charges. That is the 15-year-old sophomore who went into Oxford High School 
And on Tuesday morning, the parents of him walked into the school to meet face-to-face with school officials who had grown concerned about their son's classroom behavior. Well, just about three hours after that meeting started, the student, Ethan Crumbly, walked into a school bathroom carrying a backpack and emerged with a handgun. He began firing. He killed four students and wounded seven people. Now he's being charged with four counts of first-degree murder and charged with terrorism, which is unusual. Because terrorism usually is inherently has a political end, uh, so I don't, I don't know if that's going to stick. This is just some the prosecutor wanting to send a message. But the interesting thing about this case is the parents of Crumbly have been arrested, and they were charged after officials said their son carried out the shooting using a handgun his parents had bought for him. That is James and Jennifer Crumbly. Really, you're going to buy a 15 year old a handgun? I don't know what the gun law is in Michigan. I thought pretty much universally across the United States you had to be at least 18 to carry a handgun or to own a handgun. I don't know. But yeah, the prosecutor said the Crumblies are culpable because they had allowed their son access to a handgun while ignoring glaring warnings that he was on the brink of violence. Uh, They said the parents had gone missing, prompting a manhunt. Their lawyer said they weren't missing. They were just out. They had left because they were getting like death threats and that they were cooperating and now they're back. Well, they have been arrested. So I don't know if they were actually running from the cops or not. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, the shooting took the lives of um, four kids. And, uh, and I'll say like what I always said, this kid uh, is an incel, obviously. And just tangential to that story, I want you guys to be careful about videos that you spread online right away. I know everybody wants to be first, but you got to be cautious with this stuff. And one of the videos I'm going to talk about, you know, because they go viral and then everybody circulates them claiming something and then it turns out to be bullshit, but it's already gone viral. And one of them had to do with this shooting. I don't know if you saw, I don't have the video in front of me. I'm, I'm sorry. But there was a viral video that purported to have the Michigan shooter at Ox- at the uh, at Oxford calling into a locked classroom saying hey this is an Oakland uh, this is a uh, Oakland County sheriff you can open the door it's safe and the video was claiming that this was the actual shooter crumbly faking being a law enforcement officer right trying to get them to open the door so then he could like spray rounds inside it and kill more people that has been refuted. Uh, and this went around wildly and I, I almost, I almost ran with it too, but I'm glad I, but I, I waited because it wasn't confirmed. And sure enough, yes, Oakland County Sheriff Michael Bouchard said that he never knocked on the classroom door during the rampage and that that video was actually a Oakland County, uh, Sheriff's deputy. So it, it, so that, that was fake, and again, I would just caution you on circulating stuff. And the other one that I wanted to point out, did you see the video of the cop kicking the dog in Indiana? That went everywhere, because we know Americans love their dogs. So an Indiana police officer was being dragged all over social media after a doorbell video footage showed him kicking a dog, which the video claimed had just scared off a burglar. Uh, but that is false. The uh, Terre Haute, is that how you pronounce that? Police Department issued a response after the video went viral. And what happened was, it wasn't a dog that just chased off a burglar. 
as the description of the viral video said. This was the same residence that the officers determined a pit bull had previously attacked an 11-year-old girl. And when the officers arrived at the house, they encountered two aggressive dogs that lunged at them continuously. And body cam footage just does back that up. And then the body cam footage showed the officer walking over to the dog owner's porch. And yes, they then did make contact with the owner of the dogs. And yes, they had to, you know, they got to do what they got to do with a fucking dog lunging at them. What are you going to do? Just say, come on, Fido. No, you're going to kick the shit out of it, which they did. So again, I bring those stories up to just be careful with what you spread around. Uh, let's see. What else? All right. Almost out of time, you guys. So let's go through a quick uh, news roundup here. Headlines. Ron DeSantis of Florida proposed a new civilian military force in Florida and that the fucking and the liberals on Twitter lost their minds about it. And basically, this is a civilian guard program that's they basically are used for like national disasters and everything. And the CNN fucking article titled, quote, DeSantis proposes a new civilian military force in Florida that he would control, end quote. You got to scroll all the way down to get to the fact that, yes, there are state guards, and they are typically deployed to respond during a disaster. And, yeah, this is, uh, you got to go all the way down to find out that, they also have these guards in dozens of other states. As a matter of fact, this would be the 23rd active state guard in the country joining California, Texas, and New York. But what did that stop? Did that stop the people from going crazy? No. U.S. Representative Charlie Crist, who's running for governor in Florida as a Democrat, tweeted out, quote, no governor should have his own hand-picked secret police, end quote. And it just got worse than there. They like literally lost their mind. I mean, they were throwing around Gestapo. These people are fucking nuts, dude. I thought Orange Man being gone would like calm them down a little bit. It hasn't at all. They're just as fucking worked up as they ever been. I'm like, dude, take a break. Don't you get tired of swinging from one crazy conspiracy outrage to the next and getting all worked up? Don't you get tired of that? They don't. They just don't. In California, a father is being uh, held after four California children and the grandmother has been killed. Four children, including an infant, and their grandmother were found shot to death in the city of Lancaster. And a children's father was arrested on suspicion of killing them. Yikes, dude. He, the father, held a permit to carry a gun, but it had expired in August of 2020. They found his Facebook page, and there was some religious stuff about the devil on there. So it just sounds like another fucking nut. Um, Quickly, what else do I have? A uh, couple of uh, other headlines. In Australia, this was kind of funny. A Greens activist named Jonathan Peter Doig. This is one of those guys who goes on the protests. He's very famous for being woke. He's 59 years old. Well, his bail has been revoked after he paid to live stream children being abused online. 59-year-old Jonathan Doig was arrested by Australian federal police at his home in June last year. 
He was charged with procuring a child for sexual activity outside Australia. Oh, gross, dude. A court was told that Doig licked a computer screen while directing a young female in the Philippines to engage in a sex act. He also paid to watch child abuse material online, some of which was live streamed by the Philippine from the Philippines. Gross. Um, a game designer in Beijing bought toy guns and was promptly imprisoned by China. Sam Chang bought toy guns online as props for video game design, and he was jailed under China's very strict anti-gun laws. He had bought dozens of toy guns on the Alibaba shopping site, and they were harmless replicas, and they were cheap. Uh, he thought they could not be a crime, but... He was arrested. China has some of the world's toughest weapon laws, including broad definitions of what counts as an illegal gun. They have mostly prosecuted the buyers of such items and to a lesser extent the sellers, but the online shopping platforms where these sales take place have rarely been targeted, so it's unclear how much responsibility companies like Alibaba have in these situations. China's gun law of 1996 states that to be legally classified as a gun, a weapon has to be capable of killing someone or knocking a person unconscious. But there's obviously all kind of loopholes. And guys, I'm fucking out of time already. You probably know where I'm going for the big finish because many dozens of you sent me this story. And yes, here it is. Here's the headline. A bomb squad was raced to an emergency room after a patient arrived with a World War II artillery shell stuck where? Up his anus. Yes, that's right. Bomb squad was rushed there after the docs feared that the anti-tank round could be live and could explode. And you guys know I always love the excuses. The unnamed patient told doctors he slipped and fell on the 17-centimeter by 6-centimeter armor-piercing projectile that was part of his private arsenal of military collectibles. It was later identified as being a World War II 57-millimeter shell that was typically fired from 6-pound anti-tank guns. A source told the British tabloid The Sun... The guy said he found the shell when he was having a cleaning of his uh, various uh, World War II stuff. He then claims, quote, he said he put it on the floor, he slipped and fell on it, and it went up his ass, end quote. He was in a considerable amount of pain. Police said they responded that a patient had presented with a munition in his rectum. <laughs> The item had been removed already, and then they decided, well, we better call the bomb squad. So the local EOD guys uh, rushed over there. This is a big fucking round, you guys. Uh, it, it, and the EOD guys said it was, an in, it was inert. It was in no danger of going off. But it is sharp, kind of, in, you know, at the forefront of it. So he could have died if the round had, you know, pierced into his gut and all the fucking bowel stuff leaked out. Yep, this, you, you gotta go Google the size of this thing. It looks fucking massive. And um, by the way, no, he did not slip and fall on it. That dude 
was cleaning up his World War II stuff and saw this big old fucking dildo-shaped round and said, you know what, I bet that would feel really good jammed all the way up my ass. And that's what he did. And that's it, you guys. That's two and a half hours live from Paris, France, all in a row. No breaks, no editing. The steel trap mine. Nobody can beat it. Everybody knows it. Uh, guys, I'd really appreciate it. Again, one more time, go to patreon.com. Search for BK Actual in the search bar. And please consider making a pledge. Help keep the podcast going. It's the only way I can keep doing it. And to those of you who do, including my listeners who like to give me my Christmas bonus on Patreon this time, my man Z, a couple other you guys, can't thank you enough. means a lot. And uh, this is like a job for me, and I enjoy it, but it is a job, and you know, I, I got rent to pays and stuff too. So, thank you so much for that. Please follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual, and check out that Instagram at BK Actual. And guys, that is all I got for you from Paris, France. I will see you next week.